And now, the wondrous world of... <laughs> Hello, my name is Elaine, and I'll be your tour guide through South Central Los Angeles. How to survive in South Central? A place where busting the gap is fundamental. No, you can't find a shit in a handbook. Take a close look at a rap crook. Rule number one, get yourself a gun. A nine in your ass will be fine. In your club compartment, cause jackers, oh, they love to start shit. Now, if you're white, you can trust the police. But if you're black, they ain't nothing but beef. Watch out for the kill. Don't make a false move and keep your hands on the steering wheel. And don't get smart. Answer all questions. And that's your first lesson on staying alive in South Central Dead. That's how you survive. Hi, this is Elena Are you enjoying your stay in South Central Los Angeles? Or is somebody taking your thing? Okay. Make sure you have your camcorder ready to witness the extracurricular activities on Blacks by the Lake. So you and your family can enjoy this tape over and over again. Rule number two, don't trust nobody, especially a bitch with a hooker's box. Cause it ain't nothing but a trap and females will get your jacked and kidnapped. You wind up dead. Just to be safe, don't wear no blue red. Cause most niggas get got. And neither L.A., Compton, or Watts Pissed off black human beings So I think you better skip the sightseeing And if you're nothing but a mark Make sure that you're in before dark But if you need some affection, mate Make sure the bitch ain't a section 8 Cause if so, that's a monkey wrench hoe And you won't survive in South Central Now you realize it's not always cracked up to be You realize that it's fucked up It ain't nothing like the shit you saw on TV In South Sydney. Yeah, you bitches, you think I'm out of my ass. Trap ass hoes, you better watch out. And for you so-called brawler ass niggas, you know what time it is. South Central ain't no joke. You better keep your gas all the time. You better keep one in the chain with nine in the clip, right, Jamie? You'll show get got just like that. This ain't no joke, motherfucker. And I wanna send a shot to the East Dog, the engineer, put this two six six. This is Los Angeles. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. We are back. I'm Autumn. That's Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. Uh, how you been? Uh, not great. <laughs> <laughs> um, although this is not why we didn't 
record an episode last time that was just like so you were like had you know mental health reasons and i have just like had mm-hmm. a lung infection since december um yeah that's been hard to treat because every time that i want to see a doctor being like i still have this like little lingering cough and like you know i i just like get winded a little bit faster when i'm like exercising and stuff they're like okay well you need to do like three covid tests before you can come in and see me and i do them and they're all negative and then i go in and they see me and then they don't help much and then it just keeps happening um but then and i was just like kind of feeling it that day so we canceled um and then the next day we woke up and my toddler had covid and then i got covid (laughs) um they got it from daycare. They're okay. That first day was like scary, but uh, we're through it. But I yeah. might cough on this podcast, and that's why. I also I tweeted about it a little bit on Maine, but not a ton. Um, <clears throat> I have Crohn's disease. I get a um, like special medicine that is like very expensive once a month, and I. Uh, have been like fighting with my insurance company. I've literally been on the phone with my insurance company for like an hour every day, like for two weeks. I finally got it. Um, but yeah, when we were supposed to record last week, I still had not had it. I was feeling sick because I didn't have my medicine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I had started a new job. Um, well, I'm still working at the same company, just a different job at that company. Um, I I I just was having a bad one, and so I was like, let's cancel stairwells, and then um, I was like, uh, we'll get it done sometime this weekend, like Saturday or Sunday, maybe, and then, yeah, um, COVID hit, and it was like, well... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was good that you didn't come over to record an episode of stairwells at my apartment the night before we knew that like my toddler got covid from daycare um yeah yeah so like i'm really it was good but then yeah we were just like oh well like we'll do it like saturday or sunday or something um and then saturday i just was not in the mental space because like we had to go to urgent care so my toddler could get steroids to like breathe Mm -hmm. properly um and then i woke up uh sunday and i had covid And I was asleep for, like, I was watching my toddler when my toddler was awake, and then when my toddler was asleep, I was asleep. That was how that day went. So, um, yeah. And then it's just been, like, you know, the toddler can't, they can't go back to daycare. So, Mm -hmm. like, I've just had COVID and I'm recovering while watching a toddler full time. Um, So... Yeah, I haven't had a lot of time for other things. Yeah. I feel like the both of us are, like, kind of, like, on the mend today to where we're starting to feel a little better. But, um, just been a rough week for both of us. So if this podcast is a bit of a shambling mess today, <laughs> that's why. Yeah. I just wanted, you know, everybody's cards on the table. We're we're in a state. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first day where I feel normal and human. Um, I mm-hmm. still feel sick. Like, I feel like I have a cold, but like, I was just like fucked up for a week and watching a toddler mm-hmm. full time was not helping. I'm sure. Um, with like me getting rest and recovery. Um, mm-hmm. but 
Yeah. This is just the first day where I'm like, oh, I have like, I have a cough. I don't feel great, but I can record a podcast. I can be up late to record a podcast. Um, mm. I took a cough suppressant right before we recorded and we were talking slightly before we hit uh, record and I'm still coughing. So again, apologies if that comes up on the podcast. Um, yeah. You literally cannot complain. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, get your vaccines and get boosted. I'm just going to fucking say this. And Omicron is a bitch. Like, it doesn't care if you have yeah. a vaccine. You can still get Omicron. You just aren't going to get it as bad. Like, I didn't need steroids. Yeah. So that's good. Who knows what I would have needed if I wasn't vaccinated. So. Yeah. Um, I watched so many fucking movies yeah you watched you watched a good <laughs> amount of movies before the, the your hell week from hell hit and yeah. then uh you've dropped off considerably but we both have well, a lot to talk about so, so. i watched like I, I would say a normal amount of like i'm just watching a fair amount this week of movies last week um mm-hmm. and then this week i watched a shit ton of winnie the pooh which we will get to but <laughs> <laughs> you have a you have a few short things to to hit on here. Yeah. Um I'm going to quickly before I forget just change a director's name cuz I I overcorrected. Um I'll I'll explain that in just 2 seconds. Um first movie that I uh watched, uh Godzilla vs Kong. If you want to hear more about it, go listen to episode 5 of Pop Town Funk. Uh I gave it an F for stairwells, um, because it didn't have them, because it is a, you know, 2021 CG movie, and as we have discussed many times, uh, those just don't feature stairs anymore. Yeah. Um, I also, um, uh, last Thursday, uh, Molly and I watched Hero, um, which, if you want to hear more about that, you can go listen to, oh, let's see here... Some episode of this podcast, episode 22 of this podcast, where I talked about uh, Hero at great length. Um, Hero still gets an S, still would be... Genuinely, I don't think there's a better set of stairs in movies, and I don't think there ever will be. Um... Yeah. (laughs) Hero, really just one of the best movies ever made. (laughs) And last... Uh, for for my first batch of stuff, I have a lot of things to talk about, but I have this first little batch here. Uh, I watched I Shot Jesse James, which is a 1949 film. It was the first film directed by uh, Samuel Fuller, um, who is like a director I have been aware of for a very long time, and in the back of my head um, have been like, I need to watch some of his movies. He's like kind of a weird guy who like made a lot of classic Hollywood movies and then... Um, like fell in with like the French new wave crowd and made like, you know, continued to make movies as American cinema changed pretty drastically, um, over the years. Um, I shot Jesse James is like a weird movie and like kind of sometimes a bad movie, but like, that's what makes it a perfect movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's just, um, it, it, it's like, it's like 80 minutes long. It's 
all about Robert Ford, the guy who shot Jesse James, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it's just like he he shoots Jesse James at like minute fifteen. Like they get through <laughs> that pretty quick in a hilarious scene where um uh one jesse james is taking a bath and robert ford is there bathing him (laughs) and during the bath jesse is like hey why don't you go pick up that towel over there robert ford picks it up he's he is in this moment thinking about killing jesse james he doesn't know if he's gonna do it Mm -hmm. um and jesse's like why don't you go pick up that towel over there um and robert ford does and in it is like this nice new gun with an ivory handle and jesse james is like i got you a nice gun because we're such close friends and you know i just trust you with my life i just know that i could turn my back to you and you wouldn't shoot me in the back and i just i just trust you so much bob and i just think that we're really close friends and i just really i'm glad that you're never going to shoot me in the back (laughs) (laughs) And and the movie pretty much continues with that tone all throughout where like just the entire movie um people are <laughs> people just have that level of subtlety about like the themes and the the feelings that they're having. Um the plot goes in a pretty different direction um but it is all about like Robert Ford's guilt over this and um it just beats you over the head with a hammer as it talks about those things. It's really good. Um, it's on Criterion and HBO Max if people have those services. And um, I recommend it because it's like 80 minutes and it's good. So, like, whatever. Who cares? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never seen I Shot Jesse James. Uh, I did go see The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford by uh, David Sly, who I've talked about on this podcast previously. Um, and after we were done with it, he was like, I liked that movie, but I think I liked, I shot Jesse James more because they kill him at the beginning. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> and, uh, I was like, oh, I should watch that at some point. But this was like at the time when you couldn't just like mm-hmm. find it on a streaming service or something. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to like look for that the next time I go to like family video. And then I just forgot. Mm. And then you earlier telling me that you were watching I Shot Jesse James, I was like, oh! I've been, like, meaning to watch that since 2007. (laughs) (laughs) I, um... 2007 is the same year as No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. And so, like, it's maybe a little unfair to, like, measure, um, like, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward of Robert Ford against those two, which are like two of my absolute favorite movies. But, but I had always heard that movie sold as like, no man, you gotta, this is actually like the best Western that came out that year. Fuck those other two, this one. (laughs) (laughs) And I gotta say, I like Brad Pitt. Okay. In that movie, but it's a pretty trash movie. Otherwise (laughs) I fucking hate that shit. (laughs) (laughs) um so anyway that's that's it for me um oh for this first batch anyway yeah um so 
I'm going to talk about like all the actual movies that I watched later, but I just, I'm still in Winnie the Pooh headspace because Mm -hmm. so like my toddler's favorite shows are Daniel Tiger and Bluey. And generally we prefer Bluey because it's like a little bit more fun for adults. I mean, Daniel Tiger is like good in the morning when it's like breakfast and you're going to go to daycare and we only have to watch one episode. Um, and it's like mm-hmm. the episode that's currently airing on PBS. Cause it's got like some good lessons and it's a nice show because we can be like, Oh, you know, like in Daniel tiger, this thing. Cause it's all like life lessons for a toddler, basically. Um, mm-hmm. it's like useful as a thing to, to talk about with your kid, but just marathoning Daniel tiger, like, just melts your brain very quickly. It's just horrible. I like, there's just a point where I'm like, so much oh Daniel Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Bluey's like a little bit more fun for adults, but at this point we still like enjoy Bluey, but we've just seen so much Bluey and those episodes are really short. Um, and so my toddlers saw like we were opening up Disney plus to pull up Bluey and my toddlers just saw Winnie the Pooh and like wanted to watch whatever that was and we were like yes yep okay we're going to do this <laughs> um and <laughs> it was what do the poo of valentine for you like they're like promoing it on the big spread thing cuz this was valentine's day this, the day that this happened um mm-hmm. that was my least favorite of the Winnie the Pooh that we we saw um it's like weirdly there's an entire song about how like fundamentally boys and girls are different and like the mm. the nature of girls is that they make like boys want them and it changes what boys are. Um uh-huh. and I was like, I didn't know that they got Anno to direct a Winnie the Pooh movie. <laughs> 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 um but anyway, after that one, uh they were like still wanting to watch Winnie the Pooh stuff. So we watched the 1977 movie and that movie's a fucking classic. Um, that movie fucking rocks. You, I'm sure you've like seen my toddler, like enjoying a TV show and kind of like watching it and, and you Mm. know, sometimes like not registering what like I might say to them for a second or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The entire 75 minute runtime of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, both times that we watched it, just complete silence, like fully enraptured, just like taking in everything. And I'm just like, I am sick of 75 minutes where like, you are not saying a thing to me. You don't need anything from me. Like, (laughs) this is beautiful. This is incredible. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we watched that twice. And we also watched... The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which is the TV show that ran from 1988 to 1991. We watched the entirety of it, all four seasons, um, which is, um, (laughs) what, it was, I was doing the math before, 50 episodes? It's, what, 22 plus 8 is 30, and then 10 and 10, so yeah, 50. God. Uh, 50 half-hour episodes, because those episodes are... It's the style where most of the episodes have, like, two parts to them, where there's, like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, like, a slash, where here's, like, a 15-minute yeah. episode, here's a 15... Well, 11-minute, 11-minute, because of commercial breaks. But, um... Right. Yeah. No, we watched all 50 episodes of The <laughs> Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, um, and we also watched the 2011 Winnie the Pooh, which, um, I remember seeing... 
in theaters when it came out and been like, eh, this kind of mid, like it wasn't quite as good as the original. Um, and just watching it now, I was like, this is the last hand-drawn animation that Disney did. And it's mm. kind of fucking incredible for it. Um, yeah. It does sometimes give me the sense of, like, I'm a huge fan of Chrono Cross, and I've had a large mix of people messaging me with the Chrono Cross HD remaster news from yeah. congratulations to I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I have a certain feeling of, like... I, I think that, like, Chrono Cross in particular is a game where I feel this very heavily. This happens a lot on games from, like, that era, but I, this particularly stands out to me with Chrono Cross, which is that it was, like, it was designed and made for CRT monitors. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, like, interplay of the 3D models and the, like, pre-rendered background in a lot of those Square yeah. Enix games were specifically designed with the like expectation that the way that CRT displays things is going to blend everything together in a right. way where it will feel more whole and it feels less jarring to have these like polygonal things on top of this like more highly rendered background. Um, yeah. And they do like a lot of pixel art for portraits and things in Chrono Cross as well that are like very specifically pixel art designed to be displayed on CRT. Um, and to some degree, this, like, felt like the thing that people will say when they're talking about, like, oh, this, like, HD remaster is trying to make it look as good as you remember it looking. And that's kind of what the, like, new Winnie the Pooh felt with regards to the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, where, like, stuff was a little bit too clean and, like, stuff wasn't as loose, but it's just, like, this is what animation styles are now. Um and part of it that I was just thinking about is I was just like, like, I don't think that you, even if you have a really good CRT filter, you're still not getting the same effect with like Chrono Cross because everything was on CRT back then. Like television right. was on CRT. And so this is just what you expected. And so like the game displaying that way too, like now there's a certain like quaint charm to even if you do a CRT filter or whatever. Whereas back then that's just like what yeah. TV was. And I, that's to some way, so, to some degree what I was feeling watching the new Winnie the Pooh of like, there was just a way that stuff was animated in the seventies that like you can't really do now because it's just not what animation is anymore. That's not how people animate anymore. Um, yeah. And some of it is like the skills might be gone and some of it is just like, expectations of like what is animation supposed to look like what is a kid going to expect from animation um so yeah it was like kind of weird it felt like i was watching an hd remaster of (laughs) the many adventures of winnie the pooh in a in a sense like it was like way less willing to just like have some of the sketchy lines of like here's where the pencil was drawn and then we just colored and like inked over it um, you could sometimes see that in the 77 one and the way that that was just like how things were back then. Um, but it was still, it was still good. It was still charming. Um, it didn't hold my mm-hmm. toddler quite as enraptured, but, um, yeah, just like it's significance is the last hand an- animated Disney. I'm like, I have to, I have to give it a lot more props than I did at the time. Like I'm, yeah. I'm glad that they did that. I'm glad that it's not a terrible 3d movie. That would be so much worse. <laughs> God. <laughs> 
Um, but those are my thoughts on Winnie I mean, the like, Pooh. Winnie the Pooh's great. Oh, I also read the entirety of uh, like lengthy Winnie the Pooh book to my toddler. So I'm just fully in Winnie the Pooh mode. Um, I'll I'll bring you my copy of uh, the Tao of, of Pooh, um, <laughs> and you can read that to them next. Yeah. Um, and I can uh, I can then read the Day of Piglet that I have that someone <laughs> gifted me once. So. My, I don't remember if I told you this. My, I have the Tao of Pooh because, um, like, I, I turned 18 and my mom was, like, giving me, like, some gifts for, like, going off to college for the first time, or for going off to college. Um, and, like, I just really loved Winnie the Pooh when I was the same age that your toddler is now. And so my mom was just like, I, I found this book and it seems like it's kind of like poo for adults and I thought it would be cute. So here it is. And it's got a nice inscription on the Like she wrote me a nice little message on the front. But sometimes I look at it and I'm like, I'm never going to read that shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um. Um. I, I had two oh. very quick related thoughts, but. You go. Uh, I just need to to rate stairwells for Winnie the Pooh, yes, which is I think after all of them, I put a question mark with the New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh because uh, honestly, I don't know if there were any good stairs in there. Like so much of that is just a blur. It was just on in the background at points. Mm. Um, to be clear, we weren't just sitting around watching TV. I was using it to some degree because I was sick and needed to rest, but, like, we were building robots out of magnet tiles, we were building things out of Duplos, we did clay sculptures, we did painting, we did... This is just me being, like, people judging me as a mom brain, but, like, we did a bunch of activities. I just also sometimes were like, please just watch somebody the booze so I can sit here for, like, a half hour and not have to stand up and run around and do things. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't like Winnie the Pooh is a thing where everybody lives in like basically the roots of a tree. Like every house is just like the bottom of a tree. Um, so there aren't like stairs anywhere. It's just yeah. people running around in a forest. So yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, the one other thing I, I wanted to say, I'll let you, if you have Winnie the Pooh thoughts, I'll let no, you speak. No, 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 and no. then the other thing that I noticed, this is just who I am. We were watching the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh and most of so clearly there's like archival stuff that they were digitizing to put it on Disney Plus is the vibe that I got. And some episodes are just rougher than others. It just didn't store as well. And I think most of it was stored on Umatic, which makes sense. Like they probably animated it on film, but then transferred it to Umatic um, using something called a kinescope. And then with that, that's, like, what you would broadcast. Like, Umatic is the thing that you can, like, use to put in and start playing a show on TV, at least back during, like, standard definition days. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure it was all Umatic. And I, I think what happened, like, this is a thing that sometimes happens with Umatic, and I think it happened with these tapes, is that they did not store it properly. And so the red channel has gotten messed up, and you see it the most with uh, Rabbit, where Rabbit is green in some of them and it like it varies like some of them rabbits like just fairly normal like yellow like maybe slightly greenish tinted some of them rabbit is just straight up like green just green colored and it's because that like red channel is getting messed up um because i wonder red channel red has the longest wavelengths and so it's the like first thing that often gets messed up with umatic i wonder because people were posting um a little bit this week about like the the Muppet Show is on um, 
is on Disney Plus now, finally. Yeah. Um, and people were posting about, oh, look at this, like, bad, like, color correction that, that Disney's doing to um, the Muppet Show. And I looked at it, and I was like, I feel like if they were color correcting, like, it wouldn't have been like this. I wonder if maybe they just have, like, damaged tapes, you know? Because yeah. I was looking at some of the stuff that people were complaining about, and I was just like, I just feel like if I was color correcting, I, I would have had... Because pe- people were saying, oh, it's so inconsistent. This shot Kermit's this shade, and this shot Kermit's this shade. And I'm like, I just feel like that has to be an accident. <laughs> yeah, no, that's like... This is tape degra- uh, degradation. Like, I'm glad that they yeah. are digitizing those tapes now and getting them out on Disney Plus. Like, if this is a benefit of Disney Plus, is that it means that Disney is actually digitizing a bunch of their, like, archival tape collection. Good, because magnetic tape goes fast. Um, It goes a lot faster than film reels do, uh, because even in ideal storage conditions, like, the tape is literally... Like, the magnetic signal on one part of the tape is literally messing with the magnetic signal on the other part of the tape. Uh, There's just no way, like, even in a perfect void, uh, a magnetic tape is going to degrade because the magnetic signals are reacting to each other. Um, Right. And so, like, that stuff needs to get digitized. And I was, like, watching Winnie the Pooh being like, I've done, like, tape digitization and, like, the colors got messed up here. Um, and this mm-hmm. feels to me like it's a pneumatic thing because I don't think film would be this consistently fucked up. Like maybe a reel would be, but like, cause at first I was like, did they like use a, a color that in like the originals that like has oxidized weirdly or something when I first saw mm-hmm. rabbit being green, but then it just kept happening. And I'm like, no, this is a, this feels like a like pneumatic issue. And I'm pretty sure it's the. It's the red channel that's getting messed up. And there's probably a certain degree to which they're like, we want to push it, but we also don't want to turn everything else red because just what's happening is like affecting right. a specific wavelength. So, um, yeah. But yeah, that's probably also what's happening with the Muppet show. Like a lot of stuff for TV, uh, primarily probably stored on pneumatic. And that means that like stuff needs to get digitized like a decade ago. <laughs> Honestly. Right. <laughs> um, right. So, yeah. If you have, like, old VHS tapes that you really care about, um, you know, like, home video or something, uh, see if you can find some, like, there are ways that you can do it at home or you can find someone who knows how to digitize stuff because that shit's going to eat itself at the very least. Yeah. Technology Connections, a YouTube channel I watch, actually has a very good video about how to digitize, um, like... Um, your betas and your VHSs that you have. So, yeah. um, uh, the, t- the two kind of related things I was going to say is that one, I'd scoffed for a minute at the idea of a Winnie the Pooh 3d animated movie. And then I remembered how much I love watching Sora hang out with Winnie the Pooh. And I was like, if they got the square Enix people to do a Winnie the Pooh movie, I might be kind of <laughs> into it. <laughs> Um, with, with what's her name? The, uh, the Spirits Within girl? Just, like, shows up. (laughs) What's that? What's the actress's name? Oh, I have no earthly idea. (laughs) Um, God, I know this in my heart. Because I know in the movie, she's Aki Ross. But I don't think that's, like, the, 
I don't think the actress uh, was Akira. No, it is Akiras. It is Akiras. Okay. Yeah, that is the actress's name. Okay. And um, they just, like, had her play herself in that one, I guess? I, I guess so? Yeah. I guess? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Everything with Akiras is so weird. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I would I would just adore a 3D animated movie specifically of Sora hanging out with Winnie the Pooh, and also if Akiras showed up, that would be pretty sick. I gotta be yeah. real with you. <laughs> the the funny thing to me is that like Square Enix was like, we're gonna have this like fully CG actress who can just be in stuff. Um, and this was like the whole thing that they like pitched and it just flopped. And then Vocaloid mm-hmm. was just like, we didn't have a mascot for our voice bank. And now it's a Hatsune Miku is a <laughs> fucking actress. I don't like, <laughs> like she Hatsune just Miku is an idol. Is real and strong. And she is my friend. I saw her perform on stage with Tupac. <laughs> um the other thing i was gonna say and we don't need to belabor this but we might anyway um i am looking at 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 stuff from the chrono cross remake for the first time and it's weird because it's like i don't think this looks as good as the original and i also think that if i had to do the job of like putting chrono cross on modern consoles this is what I would have done, you know? Like, yeah. It's weird. I feel like they did the best job that they could have. Unfortunately, it is just a weird job that they had to do. Yeah. I feel like the, like, 3D animated sequences, those are okay. Um, it's like the game in motion that just feels so bizarre to me, a person who like loves this game and has played it a bunch because there is just like the separation that is occurring between the backgrounds and the characters in a way that just like when you had it in a CRT, that was not the feeling that you had. Um, the feeling that you had was just like a part of this, like painting was moving practically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you were kind of aware that it, like, wasn't as highly detailed as the backgrounds, but stuff just, like, blended in a way that felt far more like everything is cohesive and together, and it just doesn't feel that way. Um, yeah. So. I, I, I had a very similar feeling when the, when the Final Fantasy VIII remaster came out. I was like, that looks like a fucking PSP game. They're trying to fucking sell me Birth by Sleep and tell me it's a uh, Final Fantasy VIII. And I I just don't have the experience and affection with Chrono Cross that you do, because I'm sure if I did, I would also be like, why are they putting out PSP games still? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, one, why does Square Enix keep making this shit that looks like PSP games? And two, why don't they do it with Kingdom Hearts, the one that I want to look like a PSP game? <laughs> um... Well, and again, it's the thing of, like, part of me is, like, I wish that they were just putting all this money into making, like, an incredibly good CRT filter that they can put on things. Like, I wish that they were just, like, putting money, like, someone was, like, putting in money into developing that. And again, if someone knows a really good CRT filter to do with, like, an emulation thing, let me know, because I want to know. But 
also at the same time, there's a certain amount where I'm just like, it's not going to be the same though. Like mm-hmm. when that was just like what you watch the news on, that's what you watched. Like, you know, Seinfeld on, that's what you watch the Simpsons on. That's what you watched. Like twin peaks on was just all the same thing. I keep, and then I the game was in there. In was just, yeah. Yeah. I keep noticing it in Batman the Animated Series because that also does the thing where there's, like, stuff that they're drawing in pencil because it needs to move, and there's so much stuff that they're painting. Um, And I like the look of those clashing elements, um, partly because I like... um, I was about to say I like Ghibli movies. I don't like Ghibli movies, but anyway. um, (laughs) You sometimes like the aesthetics of Ghibli. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um... And so, like, I don't mind it, but I definitely, every time I see it in Batman, I'm like, I wonder if this just looks, like, less noticeably, like, differentiated uh, on an older television. Yeah. Because um, I'm watching it in, like, 4K on my 40-inch TV. That is not how you're supposed to be watching Batman the Animated Series. I think it looks incredible on my TV, but uh, it's not what they intended. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. I'm just going to send, this is the one that I always return to, this, like, one image in particular, because I just feel like it's, like, a good close-up illustration. Um, apparently the file is too big. Whatever. Do I'll you send want me to, to start later. talking about... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I watched two... <coughs> uh, next two movies I watched... Um, both very good. I'll do their, I'll do both their stairwell grades right here at the front, because I gave them both D pluses. It's, um, the new 2021, uh, Guillermo del Toro directed Nightmare Alley, um, and then 2007's, um, Michael Clayton, um, directed by Tony Gilroy. It's a George Clooney movie. Yeah. Um, I gave them both a D plus in the stairs department because... They barely featured stairs. I don't think there were any scenes on stairs, but there were in both these movies a couple like really nice stairwells that framed a shot well. Like, oh, that character's not on the stairs, but you like put stairs in this shot and they look nice. And so I've bumped you up from like a D minus to a D plus because you did put ornate stairwells in there, even if they don't like matter to the to the story. <laughs> Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> Nightmare Alley. Um, I tweeted about this a little bit. Uh, I don't know why. I can't like. I feel like I've got something in my throat. Sorry. Nightmare Alley. Um, I tweeted about this a little bit. Uh, new Guillermo del Toro film. Um, it It's pretty good. It's not my favorite uh, del Toro. It's not my least favorite del Toro. It's just, like, he just is making the movies that he wants to make. Uh, Seems like they're pretty successful. He got another Best Picture nomination. Um, And, um... uh, I I already don't remember it all that well, but um, it was pretty good. I'll be interested, if people are thinking about seeing it, there is apparently a, a black and white 35 millimeter print that is like coming to the music box and coming to, you know, all sorts of places all over the country. 
don't go see that in theaters <laughs> because uh omicron is real <laughs> yeah um but i would say when that black and white version hits like video maybe check that out um del toro has been doing the like orange and teal look since the 90s because i think for him like he he uses those two like highly contrasting colors like he's been using them for decades because it sort of creates the high contrast feeling of black and white without being black and white yeah um and so i let him get away with it a lot of the time but in Nightmare Alley, it's definitely, like, color-corrected to shit, whereas, you know, in Devil's Backbone in 2003, he just had fucking blue and orange lights everywhere, and it looked better, you know? Yeah. He still has blue and orange lights on set um, of Nightmare Alley, but it's it's a lot more color-corrected, and I noticed, and it was kind of off-putting to me. And especially, I'm watching it the whole time thinking, like, I think this might end up looking better in black and white. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say if you haven't seen it yet, you might wait. Um, and then, um, the other movie I watched, Michael Clayton, um, that movie's fucking incredible. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, do you want to watch George Clooney be fucking sad for like two straight hours? Um, God, he's fucking miserable. For the longest time, it's exquisite. <laughs> My, George Clooney is the kind of person who, like, when I see him in the movie, I'm like, this motherfucker better be sad. He better, like, get beaten up. He better, like... <laughs> um, I don't he's wanna, just like, prettier when he's sad. <laughs> he, He's just... He's George Clooney. He's the most handsome man who's ever lived. Yeah. And he's just miserable in this movie. Life just shits on him time and time again throughout this movie. Um, I don't want to, like, give too much of it away because so much of this movie is, like, so much of it, like, is unfolding. And you, like, find out a new layer and a new layer and there's new complications. So uh, I won't say too much about it except that, like, um, the, the basic premise is that, um, George Clooney playing this character, Michael Clayton, um, is like the fixer at this like highly prestigious law firm. And, um, uh, his brother is like a senior partner at this law firm who, um, is like, it, in a way that is like unspecified in the movie, like, has a a long a lifelong history of like like psychotic episodes or 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 like breaks from reality um and so george clooney like does is like the fixer at this um law firm and part of being the fixer means like managing his brother's like you know episodes um and it's very fucking sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a miserable fucking movie. <laughs> but I loved it. I seriously, I finished it, and then I woke up the next day, I was like, what if I watched Michael Clayton a second time today? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
yeah, I don't want to say too much more because I, I do think so much of the, the joy of watching this movie is like watching it unfold. So I will leave it there. Um, one, I sent you the, the Chrono Cross image of just like how different and better it looks on CRD. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've sent me this image before. It looks so much better. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like the, the models just like blend in so much more with the background. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, while you were talking, move things around because you were talking about the like blue and teal or the orange and teal in nightmare alley. And I was like, Oh, I should talk about blade runner, <laughs> blade runner, the final cut and blade runner 2049, uh, which I watched both of in the same day. Um, so part of this was that I watched the Dune movies, including noon and, uh, you know, just wanted to like watch Blade Runner 2049, but I was like, I should watch the original first. Um, I specifically watched the final cut because I had it on DVD. Um, and so I just like watched that. And then I opened up HBO max to watch 2049 and saw that the final cut was also on there. So I guess I could have watched it on HBO max. Um, and it would have been better quality, but I did what I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I really love Blade Runner, like the original movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a while since I've watched like the original theatrical version. Uh, the final cut is the version that I've like watched the most because it's the one that I owned on DVD. Um, but like, I I think that the like voiceover stuff from Harrison Ford is kind of bad. It's like an homage to this noir thing and it's not quite working. Um, but also like it doesn't ruin the movie for me in the way that I know it does for some people. Um, Mm. but also like, I just enjoy the final cut as like here, here's like this definitive version to some degree from Ridley Scott. And I, I think it's also the version that like, 2049 is uh perhaps most intentionally trying to like follow up um i don't think it's a in like accident that if you go on hbo max blade runner the final cut is the original blade runner that you can watch there's not like multiple versions it's just the final cut on there Um, yeah yeah but um yeah both of these movies are like i really like the original Blade Runner as just this like strange, um, I feel like I had like s- far more intense things to say if we were recorded last time, but like, I know people who don't like Blade Runner and I, one of the common like complaints is that it's like, it's boring and that Harrison Ford is not very likable. And I'm like, I'm shaking my head at the computer. I'm like, <laughs> I kind of think like both of those is the, like that's the point like the whole plot of blade runner is that like harrison ford is this guy who is going around like killing people and Mm -hmm. so much of the movie is about how like no these like replicants are people and Mm -hmm. a lot of it is just like well we're gonna have like almost this episodic like well, here's where he's going to go, like, try to meet with the sex worker one and, like, talk to her for a while and then murder her in the street. Um, here he's going to, like, go talk to this other one for a while and then, like, kill them too. Um, and so much of the, like, 
the length of the movie, I think, is coming in from, like, it is just this episodic, like, we're, like, seeing a little bit of, like, how is this person just living? Like, how is this replicant living? What does their life look like? What are they doing? Um... And it's doing it in subtle ways. It's not like we're going to, like, see a day in the life of every single character. But it's just doing these ways where, like, stuff... We just, like, linger on on them for a while before, like, actual action and plot happens. Because that's what the, the like, movie is interested in. It's just, like, spending time in this space with some of these people. Um, and that's, like, yeah. what I really enjoy about it. And so it's yeah. just bizarre to me for, pe- for people to be like, oh, it's, like, boring. I'm like... <laughs> that's the whole fucking point of it is that like th- it's just here are these people who are like trying to live their lives and then a guy comes in and kills them <laughs> um yeah. and the guy is supposed to it's... be unlikable like harrison ford in this movie is supposed to be unlikable um it's one of the best movies ever <laughs> fucking made i'm just like as you're talking like in the back of my mind always i'm like Man, Blade Runner's pretty good. And just like as you're talking about it, I'm just getting like scenes and images, and I'm just like, man, fucking Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. Um And then I, I do like Blade Runner 2049. So another thing that uh one person who's not a fan of the original Blade Runner and did see 2049 um likes it more, but then was complaining to me about the fact that this is like minor spoilers, I guess, but within um 2049, like the my my friend who was complaining about it was like i just can't believe that like harrison ford's character and the you know woman end up together because he like basically sexually assaults her and is like a terrible man and i'm like sometimes you are a like robot who has been fed memories to like try and give you a sense of like where you are, you are like less aware of the your artificiality and you maybe don't have the emotional uh like bandwidth to understand that this man is abusive and i feel like 2049 does also address that like that relationship didn't go well (laughs) so like i don't see how that's a complaint that like yeah like a woman ends up with a bad man and then like it doesn't go well and you know they're no longer together like while 2049 is happening (laughs) that's noir movies (laughs) Like, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that, like, I think people get uncomfortable with Blade Runner because or, or people don't like that part of Blade Runner because it can sometimes feel like uh, uh, I heard people say it feels like it's out of nowhere um, and it it's dark. And like, I feel people I hear people say it feels needless. And I'm like, one, like, it, it cannot be stressed enough that, like. Harrison Ford's character is, like, a violent man. Yeah. Like, he only knows how to, like, interact with the world through violence. Um, Like, that's what the movie's trying to say. Yeah. And so, like... <laughs> and then, like, the moments where we see him being the least violent, it's specifically couched around him, like, putting on a character to, like, try to act friendly so he can get close to someone to then kill them. <laughs> like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, kind of like what you were saying, like, this is noir movies. Like, every noir movie from the 40s would have had this scene if they could have had this scene. Yeah. You know? Like, 
this is like the subtext that you couldn't make text during the Hayes Code, but like this is just like what's happening in all these movies. Yeah, you know. Um. um so, I. <sighs> I yeah, might I might bump down the quality of the stairwell that I put in for Blade Runner twenty five. I'm thinking about it. Um, so both of them, there's just an incredibly ornate stairwell um, in Blade Runner. It happens towards the very end during like the lead up to the final two confrontations, like the final two people that he kills, um, and it's like a little bit thematic, but not like super heavily thematic in the way that I really want to like give it a higher than an, an a, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and there's, there's a similar stairwell that sh- there's a lot of stairwells that show up in 2049. And I've been noticing that like more recent movies don't do stairs as often. And I, I think like they are obviously using lots of special effects in Blade Runner 2049, but I think I don't, I feel like there are lots of people who do not like the movies of uh, Dennis Villanueva. I have enjoyed the ones that I've seen, which are Noon and Blade Runner 2049 primarily. Um, And it's because I think he has, like, a good sense of actually doing, like, sci-fi and when to bring in special effects and, like... There, there's not this like over reliance on just always doing the special effects to, the, or like an obviousness around it that I feel like there is with like MCU stuff to like do the thing we always rail against, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the effects here, like, so one of the big things in 2049, um, one is, uh, oh, what's his name? It's been so long since I've watched the movie. The main character in 2049. Um, uh, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, yes. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought you were wanting the character's well, name, and I was like, I know Ryan Gosling's in that movie. I don't th- know. There's like multiple <laughs> stuff around his name because, um, at the beginning of the film, he just like is a serial code, is like the number. Oh, okay. Um. Anyway, I I feel like 2049 does like interesting things to play off of the themes of Blade Runner. Um, it's doing a very similar thing in casting Ryan Gosling as kind of the Harrison Ford of this, of like, I do, I kind of like the Blade Runner version of Harrison Ford where he is like attractive, but shitty. And I like when Ryan Gosling is attractive, but shitty, like all of my favorite (laughs) Ryan Gosling movies are like Blade Runner 2049, Drive, and, um... Oh, what's the name of the, uh, very clearly he just wants to make, like, a Taiwanese crime movie one. Only God Forgives. Um, yes. Um, (laughs) I was just trying to remember because there's a bunch of stuff that would, like, mention God or whatever. Um, there's so many titles Mm. that I, I could be pulling accidentally. Um, but anyway... Um, so, like, Ryan Gosling's in a good role. They're kind of playing off of, like, some of the themes of Blade Runner, but, like, inverting them to some degree with Ryan Gosling's character. Um, one of my favorite additions is that, um, he, like, seems to have genuine affection for this, uh, robot, or this, like, AI, basically. It's, like, he basically has Siri, but there's, like, a projector, and so it's a girl, and he, like, loves this it's like we're getting a little bit of that one um like guy falling in love with siri movie um 
But anyway, there's a moment where she wants like him to be able to like actually experience having sex with her. And so she hires a sex worker who like appeared earlier in the movie to come. And then like they're doing this thing where they're overlaying like her projection over like then the like physical body of the sex worker. And then like that sex worker being a character who's also shown up. I think they could have developed her a little bit more, but it's still like a part of it. Um, there's just like interesting stuff happening there. Some of it, I think they could have developed further, but I still enjoy some of the stuff that they do with like her character and different ways that she is like wanting to be embodied. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think it's just a good like adaptation. And then also there's lots of like, here are, uh, contrasting colors thing. But I just, it like comes by it so much more honestly than a lot of modern movies do because it's doing Blade Runner, a thing where they do this like contrasting lights thing. Um, And I feel like they're not, it often, when I was watching it, it didn't feel quite as much like, oh, they're just like color correcting to get contrasting in here. It is like, there was like a more of an awareness of how that like can set certain tones to certain scenes and not just do it constantly, which I think is sometimes the problem It's just like, this will make each frame more dynamic. Whereas this is a little bit more of an awareness of like, no, we want this to feel like this is like a very neon lit space. We're going to do it here. We're not going to do it as much here because we don't want to have that vibe here. Um, Yeah. Which I feel like he also did with noon. So I like, I, I honestly appreciate his stuff for like, this is what movies are now. But if they were more like this, I think I would actually like it better than what we usually get. Yeah. I, I Did you see that thing that um, Francis Ford Coppola gave a very good interview to GQ recently that has like, got a lot of interesting stuff in it? The thing that everybody pulled out is like somebody asked him, so what do you think of Marvel movies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and him saying, like, even you get like a, a, a good director like the... Um, Oh, what uh, Denis Villeneuve, um, um, and like even his movies—they all just kind of come out the same because they are all just the same movies now. And like, <laughs> that's the talented ones. Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of um, I I have only seen one of his movies, um, but that's how I kind of feel. Or I'm like, he's doing a better job of it than most people, you know? Yeah, <laughs> but um. You know, so yeah, uh, I am. I'm excited for noon part two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've just fully committed to this bit. Yeah, um, I'm excited. You want to talk about gaslight? Before? Oh, I. So a for both of these, I did downgrade 2049. Um, there are multiple. There are like more stairs. And some of them are even more ornate. And there's some that are like thematic of like, oh, there's a memory of like going down into like this weird space and going down the stairs. Um, but it's that like thing of like, there's almost too many stairs for me to give it an A plus. It's an A, you know, mm. like they mm. like didn't like really develop one set of stairs. They just kind of did a lot of stairs. And I appreciate that there's lots of stairs in a movie from 2017 because I feel like this is a rarity now. Um, I'll talk about my next batch of movies. Do you, you are very occasionally getting robot voice. Do you want to try switching to like talking in one of the voice channels in the discord instead of like in the DMs? Sure. Cause I think that sometimes helps it. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to switch real quick. 
Uh, I'll mark that in case I want to edit, but that was so quick I might not. Anyway. You're going to edit it because I'm going to say ornate homo wells. <laughs> <coughs> and then cough. So yeah. Um, I watched... Uh, so my next my next two movies to talk about... Sorry, I was orienting myself. Um, we're, we're our Gaslight and Elevator to the Gallows. Um, I'm going to actually switch the order that I'm going to talk about them. Mm. Just, I'll talk about Elevator I knew that the while you talk. Gaslight. Um, uh, so I watched Elevator to the Gallows because I asked M begrudgingly a few weeks ago, hey, what French movies should I watch? And that was one of the ones they mentioned. Um, that movie's phenomenal. <laughs> um, I think... Maybe, and I'm still not widely seen, um, but I think maybe what has happened this whole time is that I hate the 400 Blows, and I hate all three Godard movies I've seen, and I think maybe I just don't like those things, and so I was like, well, I just must not, I must not like French movies because I don't like those, Yeah, but like, Cleo from 5 to 7, maybe the best movie I watched all last year, um... And this movie, pretty f- fucking phenomenal. In a much more, like, normal way. It was just, like, a normal good movie. I was like, I'm just having a great time. Um, to where maybe I'm like, okay, French movies are fine. That's, that's like, my growth uh, on this podcast is that I'm going to say French movies, totally fine. <laughs> my, I'm also not big on Godard. Um, and, like... I play up not liking French movies. There's lots of French movies that I enjoy. Um, I do feel like you should watch a few more French movies that aren't like Godard and stuff. Um, but then I think you should try. Have you ever seen um, Bon Au Par or like however you say it in French, the Band of Outsiders? That's that's no. Godard's movie about three people committing a robbery. Um, so I feel like Godard doing like a a crime movie is like the best chance of you being like that was all right. That was the, that's the one that I still have some vague interest in. Yeah. Um but but for people who don't know Elevator the Gallows, one I have to state up front if you're like I don't know if whether I want to watch it or not. The the biggest selling point of this movie is that there is a like improvised Miles Davis soundtrack to this movie. Um a, a, and I'm sorry, but if you don't want to hear a movie from 1958 with a Miles Davis soundtrack, you must not have a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But 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 to to give to give folks the premise, like um, this guy whose name I'm forgetting, but it doesn't really matter. Um, <clears throat> this guy is fucking his boss's wife. And him and his boss's wife are going to run away together. And they have a plan where he's going to murder his boss. And they're going to run away together. Um, once This is all like the first ten minutes of the movie. Um, he does it. He gets like the cleanest like, like fucking Dexter. Like, you know, he is totally going to get off scot-free from this crime. And um, as he is like walking out of his boss's office where he's murdered his boss he's like a little black cat like walks across like the 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 like windowsill or something 
And from there, <laughs> this man proceeds to have the worst day you could possibly <laughs> imagine. <laughs> he, like... <laughs> He, like, um, accidentally leaves a bunch of evidence all over the place, and then he has to, like, come back, and he gets trapped in an elevator, his car gets stolen while he's back, while he's in the elevator, and then there's these other two characters who steal the car that, like, get their own B-plot that takes up, like, an equivalent amount of the runtime of the movie. Meanwhile, um, his, like, girlfriend is like, man... My 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 man must have left me before he killed my husband. He must have chickened out and decided to run away from Paris. I will look beautiful and amazing and wander the streets of Paris while Miles Davis plays me the most beautiful soundtrack there's ever been in a film. <laughs> it's just like, after the first ten minutes of like, oh, he really pulled off that murder, good job. Just like... All these people, just like all four of these people, just miserable. <laughs> just everything that could go wrong for them goes wrong because this one guy saw a little black cat. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> I was like on the edge of my seat because I was like, it, 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 it just keeps you in really good suspense about like, you know, um, this is not a, this is not a spoiler to say the police start investigating the murder and you're like i was like on the edge of my seat like are they are they going to go to prison who's going to go to prison is someone going to get framed are they all going to get away are they all going to go to prison or is one person going to go to prison and i they really stuck the landing on like i was in suspense the whole time and i thought the ending was really good um it's a really good movie <laughs> um i've been meaning to watch that one for a while um, you mentioned like, oh, there's this like French film from the fifties with the Miles Davis soundtrack. And I was like, oh yeah, I need to watch Elevator to the Gallows. <laughs> um, I just knew which one it was. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the other one I watched, um, I guess the last thought I had about Elevator to the Gallows, because I've been watching like a good amount of like classic Hollywood stuff lately. I guess I just, like, was watching Elevator to the Gallows and was, like, I understood why people liked French New Wave a little better. Because, like, all the French New Wave movies... This, at least, felt very similar to, like, any given classic Hollywood movie that would have been coming out in 1958. Yeah. But just, like, 15% more, like, socially risque. You know? Like... There's just, like, a little bit more that you're like, ooh, that's so scandalous for 1958, you know? Yeah. It's not like, you know, nobody's having sex on screen. But I I can just see how, like, people saw this type of movie and they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. Okay. <clears throat> we are back. I have, a dr I have a cocktail now for some reason. I didn't want it, but I have it. <laughs> Um, it's not even me this time. Uh, this time, or er, 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 next movie I have to talk about um, is Gaslight, which um, I watched because I found out it has Ingrid Bergman in it, and I just like her, so I watched it. She's great, and um, she's great in this movie. Um, if you take nothing else from this uh, 
what movies we watched segment, uh, please take this. Gaslight is the best of all the really fucking good movies that I watched during the break. Um, Gaslight, one of the best movies. Um, I was like kind of like hesitant to watch it, I guess, because like Gaslight is now like a cultural term, and I like sort of came to the movie with the like cultural baggage of like. 2022 yeah. um where where sometimes i object to the way that people use gaslight just to mean anything that i don't like <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um that's not what the movie's about the movie's not about like the you know the term gaslighting the movie's just a really fucking good like drama thriller like um it's dark it's real fucking dark. Yeah. Is the thing. Um Charles Boyer's character, uh or Charles Boyer's character, just the most wretched scumfuck piece of shit I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> um and, and Ingrid Bergman is incredible. She carries the movie. Um like I don't know, there's not much there's not much else to say. It's just um, really just like a, a, a movie that just really like hit me where I live. Just like I just loved every part of this um, to, to, to where I don't know that I want to dig into it other than just to say like if folks have not seen Gaslight, you should check it out. Um, if you have the Criterion channel and you live in the U.S., it is leaving at the end of the month which is seven days after this podcast comes out. So please, like, watch Gaslight. <clears throat> um, it's, like, the it's a really dark movie, so, like, you might want to, like... Like, a, as a person who, like, has lived with... A, uh, or as a person who has lived through, like, a, an abusive relationship... Um, there's definitely like moments where this movie was like kind of hard for me to watch because it's about Ingrid Bergman living through an abusive relationship. Yeah. Um but also it's 1944 so there there is just like a there's a ceiling on how dark it gets, you know? Um to where I was able to manage this reasonably well. Um and so yeah, I I, I maybe like prep yourself a little bit but um it's a good movie i think it's worth it and um i don't think it's like you know too dark yeah uh, anyway um gave it an s for stairwells because um it is a movie like in many ways about stairwells um charles boyer and ingrid bergman live in this like english townhome on the square that's like three or four stories tall and they just have the most beautiful stairwell in in the world and it's like gaslight almost functions as a haunted house movie where there's no ghost or like the 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 ghost is like her shitty husband (laughs) um and so because it is so much about like the space that they live in and because they spend a lot of money making this set look very nice um phenomenal stairs yeah you know um 
All the most important scenes happen on stairs in this movie. It's great. Um, have you seen Gaslight? I have not. You should watch it. Yeah. Maybe we'll cover it for the podcast. I can imagine us covering it. Um, but that would be fun. Yeah, you want to talk about Tilbury? Yes. Um, so I watched this. Uh, basically based on. M like kind of tweeting a little bit about it and me at first being skeptical because I saw that it was a horror movie named Tilbury and I forget exactly what M was saying about it but I was like did they make a movie about the like you know so there there's this like folkloric creature in uh Iceland that is called the Tilbury spelled differently T I L B E R I um and it is essentially like so a witch would would take like a a rib bone from like a sheep or something and wrap it up with stolen wool um and then like tuck it between her breasts um and the version that they say in in this is that like and then has to like get communal wine from the church and then like spit it um down her chest uh but there's like various versions of it um and essentially, uh, it'll eventually come to life and then like, uh, suckle from her and then it will go and steal milk from like neighbor's sheeps and then come home and vomit it out as this like butter that's called Tilbury butter. Um, and I know at some point, I don't know if it was on a recording or what, I think I like explained to you, um, a insult of a, a Hoddledor Laxness novel that a guy did where he like described it as like, um, like artificially made Tilbury butter. Um, but so it's like, it's this cultural thing that people talk about. Um, but this is spelled T I L B U R uh, Y. And I was like, is this just like some American thing that like heard of it? And then it's just like making this dumb horror movie about it. Um, and I was like, I don't think so. And so I looked into it. It's by uh, Vithar Vikingsson, who I would say is like kind of one of the big horror guys in Iceland. Like most of the stuff that he's done has been horror stuff. Um, and I found it like bizarrely fascinating. It's from 1987. Um, it was produced for television. So specifically for um, Ruv or like um, like R-U with an accent V. Um which stands for uh, Rika Supvarpath, which is like the national broadcasting service of Iceland. Um, and I'm not going to like go super into all of the history of um, all the stuff involved here. I think like if we didn't have a billion movies to talk about, I would just like really get into this. But um, Essentially, it is set, uh, most of the movie takes place during, uh, I think it's 1940, uh, the year where during World War II, uh, sort of deeming Iceland to be a, um, important stopover point. Like, if Nazi Germany wanted to come and bomb the US, they would probably need to stop over in Iceland to, like, refuel and stuff. Um, and so it was, like, the strategically important area. And so the UK, basically invades Iceland, which at the time was like claiming neutrality during the war being like, we kind of don't want to get involved in this partially because we're just a really small country that like, doesn't really have an army. Um, 
So like, what does us getting involved do even? Um, but they became occupied by the UK. Um, and an army base was built there during that year. And then after that, the U.S. took over. Most of this film takes place um, during that year of occupation by the U.K. But then at the very end, uh, we get the like switch over to the U.S. happening. And the basic plot of it is um, this like main character, uh, his like sweetheart from when he was like a kid, basically. Like this girl that he like had a crush on, like maybe kind of dated, but it almost honestly feels more like a crush to me. Um, she, he believes that she is like, or she, essentially she's like sleeping with a, a UK like sergeant or something um, of like the mm. army. But then as it continues, he's like, the sergeant is like weird and like pale and lanky um, and has like a, a strange face. Um, and then is like vomiting up this like weird green butter. And like, basically the whole thing is like him being like, no, this is like, this guy is a Tilbury um, that like she created that becomes the main plot of it. And then like that seemingly gets resolved. But then when the U S comes in at the end, there's a new general who, and both of them have this last name Tilbury with the B U R Y, which is just like a English last name. Um, there's mm -hmm. this new general who, uh, is American, but has the same name and like has a similar looking face. But part of what's like so charming about this movie is I don't think you can be racist to like Brits and Americans, but this movie is trying so hard to be. <laughs> in such a way that I saw some people talking about this movie being like, is this movie anti-Semitic? And I think it's just because like when you're doing these weird caricatures of white people, like if people are trying to process that outside of just like, this is a nation that's being occupied by like colonial forces. Um, I could see how people would like jump to that as being like the thing. Uh, but I don't think that's really what this, this film is doing. It's just like, the the British guy is just like lengthy and like, you know, all or, uh, lanky and stuff and all these like ways that you would expect is like we're like doing a stereotypical British guy. Um, and then the American guy is just like, you know, like jovial and like, you know, has on a helmet and everything. Um, it's just it's bizarre, like how much they are <laughs> they are doing it because it's just like I, I don't think you can be, but it's trying. <laughs> it's trying. Um, yeah, I, I found it like bizarrely fascinating because, um, and also the fact that this is being aired on Ruv, which, um, so the first television in Iceland was actually American broadcasts. The, the U S army base set up a like television station for the soldier station there. But because, uh, Kellevik, which is where the base was, was very close to Reykjavik. Um, People in Reykjavik could also get that signal, and most of the population of Iceland lives in Reykjavik. So, like, most of, like, a good 80% of Iceland was getting this television station from the army base that was just entirely American television. Um, and it wasn't actually, like, until decades later that uh, Iceland was finally able to set up their own television station that, like, was putting on programming, like this made-for-TV movie. Um, so it was also just, like, interesting having this thing... Like, during 1987, the base issue is still thriving. It's alive and well. Um, 
you know, the Berlin Wall hadn't fallen yet. It was still fully Cold War. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. found other reasons to stay occupied in Iceland, even after, like, the Cold War was over. But, um, right. <clears throat> so, like, this is a movie that is, like, extremely dealing with these really complex tensions that exist in, like, Icelandic culture around the army base. Um and like what it means both in terms of like we are literally being occupied in quote unquote peacetime although like the US would basically be doing forever war to then like argue for well we still get to keep a base because it's wartime even though like people aren't going to be refueling from in Iceland from a bunch of places that the US was invading but um you know U.S. is forever war, like, kept the base being a, a hotter issue, um, both from that just, like, Icelandic sovereignty, uh, like, hey, why are we being occupied in times of peace? Mm-hmm. And then also this, like, very cultural thing of, like, there are American soldiers here uh, that are bringing American culture and, like, for a long time, our only television that lots of people are watching is American television. It's not, like anything that we are creating that's like our own thing. And so we are like getting this like American globalism um, that is just like American culture being disseminated here. Um, And then the tensions around there. And what I, what I do find fascinating about like the movie is the fact that like for different reasons, there are a lot of leftists are more opposed to like, the actual occupation of Iceland by Mm -hmm. like American soldiers. Whereas a lot of like very conservative forces in Iceland are more going on this like extremely cultural thing of like, Oh, the American soldiers are stealing our girls or whatever, but like are still like often very pro like army base, you know? Um, And it was just like, I felt like this didn't have like a very final like here's a political message about it but rather the way that like a lot of horror movies are just playing at societal fears and are just like heightening them and commenting on them by like kind of doing a weird pastiche of them this is kind of just like playing with all the societal fears that exist around the army base and then like tying it to this like weird folkloric thing um so it's a thing that like one, if I just watched it and I, we didn't have a bunch of stuff to talk about, I would probably be going way longer going into a bunch of the history of the base issue. Um, it's also this thing of like, at some point it would just be fun to like sit down with someone else who would watch this, either you and or M, <laughs> and be like, mm-hmm. let's like hash through what this one hour movie is. Um, cause I just enjoy it a lot, but, um, yeah. It sounds really good. I was like thinking I was like the, thinking in the back of my mind like I should catch this and I just kept like doing other stuff. The instead. other thing, you know that I don't use this word lightly. You know that M doesn't use this word lightly. Uh-huh. We were talking after I'd seen it. We both agree that this movie is Lynchian and is in Lynchian mm-hmm. in ways where like when Icelanders show up in Twin Peaks and they're there for quite a bit of Twin Peaks. I'm like did David Lynch somehow see this movie? Because there is a scene where <laughs> a woman is, like, going into convulsions because she ate the, like... She ate Cadbury chocolate, but it is made with the, the like, Tilbury butter. Um, 
And so she starts like convulsing on the dance floor, and then everyone just thinks that her convulsions are dancing. And I was just like, this is just Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, there's just like weird <laughs> moments where, like, because it's also like low budget and made for TV. And so it has that like certain soap opera quality that, like, I think of it when I think of especially Twin Peaks, where it's almost using that like low budget TV nature to intensify just like how weird it is to have two girls like swinging like in unison but like reversed on swings just in a barn and you just like go in and see them doing that like Mm -hmm. (laughs) um yeah it was just it was like fascinating for those reasons um so yeah i feel like you would would really enjoy it (laughs) it sounds like something that's up my alley i just hadn't gotten around to it in these two weeks so um um <clears throat> speaking of shit that's up my alley um this was just like i forget what the context was jackson and i were talking and i was like oh wait the the thing where like all the guys have like color code names in, in reservoir dogs is like from another movie it <laughs> jackson was like Autumn, I need you to drop everything and go watch Take of Pelham One Two Three right now. And I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, this week, uh, just two days ago, I think now, I watched the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Uh, that movie is fucking incredible. <laughs> um, that movie's fucking good yeah (laughs) um if people are not familiar with the taking of pelham one two three um four men with uh you know color code names like mr gray mr brown etc um like take over a a new york subway train and um attempt to like ransom the hostages for a million dollars and it's just good (laughs) (laughs) um i was thinking a lot about um another one of my favorite movies is a dog day afternoon yeah which is i think two years after this it's a very similar time frame um dog day afternoon is doing a lot more because it's sydney lumet um doing a lot more like social commentary sort of stuff um and like thinking about the issues of the day um and and that sort of thing and it is much more just about al pacino's perspective in that movie yeah as al pacino is like a chaos man (laughs) (laughs) yeah um taking a pillow one two three similar premise where you get like all the you know uh dilapidated 70s new york stuff but um like the 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 gangsters in this or not the gangsters the the what's word i'm looking for like the the guys taking the hostages in this movie are just like cold-blooded killers they'll just shoot a person they don't give a shit yeah (laughs) they are here to do a job (laughs) and this is then contrasted against like um the 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 main like cop they talk to is played by Walter Matthau 
Um, and he kind of knows what he's doing. He's like a pretty like smart guy, but like every, like he's talking to them and he has to then like coordinate this with the guy who runs the subways and like make sure everybody gets to work on time. And then he has to like call over a different guy, um, who's like in a different part of the transit cops. And then he has to like call the chief of police and then he has to call the mayor and like, you have like the 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 four like criminals who are just like professionals, and then just this like you get a lot of time from the perspective of incompetent New York bureaucrats. Um, yeah, <laughs> going all the way up to the mayor, who is like a sniveling little piece of shit baby man, um, <laughs> who I hate. Um, it's just a good movie. Um, it's like saying a lot less than dog day afternoon but i think um it has its own strength in that or 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 i guess i should say because this movie does predate dog day afternoon dog day afternoon is saying more but um you know it's just a, similar similar premises but like it's similar appeal but like different execution i thought it was a lot of fun so yeah um <clears throat> for um a stairwell i gave it an a which I think maybe it like cheated its way into a little bit. Um, obviously, they're robbing a su- they're they're hijacking a subway train. Most of the movie takes place either like in the police like precinct where they're like calling Walter Matthau or um, the train itself. So there's hardly any stairs through the whole movie. But at the very end, they're like trying to escape. And there's, like, a lengthy sequence on a stairwell as it's, like, you know, we need to, like, change our disguises and, like, hide our machine guns. And, oh, this guy is, like, trying to break off from the rest of the group. And, you know, there's a there's a very climactic scene all taking place on a stairwell that I'm, like, it, 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 it. I gave it an A because I almost expected to have to give it an F, and I was so impressed that at the last possible minute they pulled out a really good stairwell scene, you know? Yeah. Where, like, I think maybe out of context, it's like, that's a B stairwell scene, but because I didn't think I was going to get anything at all, you got the A, so. Yeah. Um. What a... I'm like, what do I have next? Sorry, I just like you have sorry. I zoned you. out for a second. <laughs> At the good. end, you're good. Um, yeah, I watched Sorry to Bother You. Um, I rewatched it. I'd seen it in theaters when it came out. Um, and then I think we like watched it on streaming or something. I I had seen it twice before. Um, but late last year I was doing like a friends give me suggestions of movies to watch and books to read. Um, and my friend, John Charles Holmes, who's going to be on, um, ghost divers for Bacano, like a little bit later in this year. Um, he recommended, sorry to bother you. Uh, I was like, I have seen that. And so also recommended, um, the Donna Hertzfeld world of tomorrow movies, which I don't think I've seen the third one. Maybe I have, but I'm going to, I'm going to watch those as well. But I was like, I'll, I'll just watch all of this. Um, but we had talked about, sorry to bother you recently. And so I was like, well, I'm going to watch that like now just to, you know, it's on the top of my mind. I'm going to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. and 
I knew the like direction. This movie goes places, and I was like very aware of the places that it was going to go this time through, especially because um, the first time I saw it, it like truly was. Um, cats just keep trying to break in. Um, like truly, the the twists and stuff were just wild. Um, and the second time I saw it, um, I think I was just like less keyed into watching as in as much as I was this time. Um, but yeah, it like knowing where everything goes, I was able to just like laugh more at the, the humor of this. Cause it's just a very bizarre satire. Um, everything in the film, like constantly just feels slightly weird and off in a way that, uh, I think like there are people here that as someone who's a, a fan of, Stand up. Um, there, there's like a number of stand up shows that I actually used to like podcasts and things that I just listen to regularly. Um, all of them have, have ended um, mm-hmm. in some way or another, but like a bunch of the people in this are just people who I know from doing stand up. Um, and so that was kind of like it's just f- fun seeing them and seeing their style and seeing their style get translated. Um, Away from like this is us. This is me doing a like stand up set to this is like a comedy film that's a satire of like various situations, but I'm like applying my specific style in a way where, um, I can really see Boots Riley being like, okay, I kind of have this idea for like this scene. And then here's this person who I know is going to like bring the kind of energy, but then I'm going to kind of let them like do their thing. Cause I know that they're going to be able to like the way that they do it is what I want. The biggest one here being, um, the standup comedian, Kate Berlant, which I don't know if you're familiar with her work at all. Um, no, but she can put on this like very, like I am on this like woman who's like, you know, I'm like super into crystals, and I'm here leading this talk for all of you or whatever. Um, like this, like very, like, it feels somewhat Californian to me in terms of just like that, like style of liberal, but also that like, ha- just has that speaking voice where you feel like you're like a kid going to like one of those all school assemblies where some person's going to talk to you about not doing drugs, but they're like a motivational speaker. Like she has like a very motiva- motivational <laughs> speaker, like patter to it. But, um, in the movie they have her play like at the, uh, phone, like, um, what's it called? You know, where you're like basically just calling people trying to sell telemarketing, uh, like the, the telemarketing yeah. place that the, the main character works. She's like one of the supervisors and she's doing this whole thing, like going into the spiel of like, oh, talking to you about like doing the job, you know, while everyone's gathered around her. Um, and like, here's how to like do these performances. Um, and then playing off of like a just very different intensity guy who, uh, I mostly know for being bug, not bugs in, um, sense But, um, yeah, he's just like very weird, high energy. Um, and just like them playing off of each other is just great. So this is just a like very funny movie. Um, and there's just like a, a very distinctive style to it. Like some of the fashion is incredible. Um, especially the fashion of, um, 
oh, what's her what's her name? It's been so long since I've seen this. Um, the like Cash's girlfriend, Cash being the main character, um, who's like this artist and everything. Um, but yeah, it, it's like the other thing. I feel like this is a good representation of like the humor of this movie. If if you're like unfamiliar with it, <coughs> this is like kind of a um. I guess like a little bit of a, a spoiler or like a reveal, but, mm-hmm. um, oh yeah. Uh, Tessa Thompson, Detroit, Cash's girlfriend. I was like, oh yeah, I knew she yeah. was in that movie. Um, I should have. And just like her fashion in particular is just like spectacular. She has these like great earrings throughout scenes and stuff. Um, but one of the things is that like the characters will put on their white voice and the white voice, they will literally have like, there's this whole thing where this like older, black man is talking to cash about like, here's how to make sales. You need to like put on your white voice and cash is like, yeah, I know like the voice that, you know, I don't really have a white voice. Like I just talk my normal way when there's like cops around and he's like, no, like you need to have not just like the voice that you would have where you're like trying to sound a little bit more proper tone shifting. You need to be like, do the voice of what white people wish that they were. Uh, just like completely, uh, laid back, like don't have a care in the world. You're about to like hang up this car and go drive in your like third Ferrari that you bought this week. Uh, (laughs) and then just like goes into it and they just literally, I think for him, uh, for like the, the old man who's talking to him, they have Patton Oswald doing the voice. It's like this, like very like fancy, um, (laughs) the, like the slight, uh, like Marn that I have watched a lot of Mr. Show. I, at this point I'm just like, fuck David Cross. Um, but, uh, David Cross does voice the main characters, white voice. Uh, and it is a great voice. Um, and then like other characters throughout will, will have it as well. Um, but it's, it's fantastic. It's like hilarious. (laughs) Um, it's one of the best bits. Um, for me at least in the or no um maybe the i'm trying to remember who Patton Oswald voices it might be someone else um yeah they they're all great though it's a it's a wonderful movie i highly recommend it uh and that like people seek it out if you haven't seen it so uh it does absolutely go some fucking places though so be prepared for that i guess <laughs> um oh and d plus for the stairs um I don't even rem- Oh, I remember. There's a scene that takes place on stairs where Cash is like moved up in the company and is at this big party with a bunch of rich white people. Um, and they want him to rap for them. Uh, and it's exactly as awkward of a scene as you might predict that that goes, oh, but God. he's standing on a like giant set of stairs during it, I believe. But like the stairs aren't really significant to the scene. So D plus, mm-hmm. um, like they didn't really get used. They were just there. Um, my last movie to talk about, uh, is oceans 11, which I'd never seen before. Somehow <laughs> to be clear, the 2001, <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, yeah. If I had said, if somebody told me I haven't seen the like Frank Sinatra Ocean's Eleven, I'd be like, okay, sure. I don't know how I got so far in life without seeing um, 
the 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 George Clooney Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Hey, that movie's pretty fucking good. <laughs> I've just seen so many of these like George Clooney Ocean's movies because um, I just saw them when they were in theaters, like a normal person. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I mean, I yeah, was... you were like six or something. Yeah, I was five when this movie yeah. came out. But I mean, like this movie was like. I don't know, so much like a f- part of the fabric of culture. Like, I'd never, I, I truly, I kept expecting to have the moment where I was like, oh no, I have seen this movie. And that didn't happen until like the last five minutes. I think I had seen somewhere, like someone else was watching it and I wandered into the room for the last five minutes, maybe. Yeah. Because I had seen the last five minutes of this movie before. But that was truly it. And so, like, I've seen this movie, like, riffed on and and parodied, and not even parodied, but just, like, redone in just, like, a very straight-faced way in so many other movies that I kind of expected to, like, not love this movie. I I expected to, like, enjoy it well enough, but not really care, Yeah, you know? Um, And what you found out is this is a movie that gets, like, endlessly riffed on and parodied because uh-huh. it's fucking incredible. Because it's one of the best movies. It's one of the best heist movies ever made, especially within, like, <laughs> recent memory. Yeah, yeah. Like, the reason that, like, it is a staple of culture is because it's incredible. <laughs> um, um, like, obviously, like, no one... You don't need me to tell you it's cool... When, when George Clooney recruits Bernie Mac or or the first time that Brad Pitt shows up in this movie. Like, you've probably seen this movie or you've seen it riffed on in culture. Like, you know what the recruiting scene is like. You know what it's like when George Clooney, like, um, you know, tells everybody, like, first, you got to, like, hack into the mainframe. And then it cuts to, like, the him hacking into the mainframe. Then after that, you're going to have to, you know take care of the security and it cuts to this guy taking care of the security or whatever. Yeah. And so on and so forth. You've seen that in other movies. You don't need me to tell you it's cool. You don't need me to tell you it's good. I just, um, I just like George Clooney a lot. I just like Brad Pitt a lot. Um, Brad Pitt's funny because sometimes I see Brad Pitt in a movie and I'm like, I fucking hate this guy. And sometimes I see Brad Pitt in a movie and I'm like, I hate this fucking guy. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm complimentary. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and this is like, I hate I hate Brad Pitt complimentary for sure. Um, it helps that him and George Clooney's characters are just fucking in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> they're just they're just gay. <laughs> There's not a lot else to it. Um, the the thing that I will say about this movie that like really um surprised me um about this because i felt like so much of it was stuff i was gonna already know the thing that ended up surprising me george clooney's in this movie and he's like the most divorced man that's ever lived as as george clooney so often is in movies Mm -hmm. um just turbo divorced just just a sad depressed (laughs) man the the way that i like george clooney and he gets beat up at the end it's perfect (laughs) and so like I didn't, I just expected this movie to be, like, very slick and, like, clean, and, like, I did not know that there was, like, a, 
you know, the 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 story of him getting Julia Roberts back in this movie is not like, you know, oh wow, this sets a new bar for like romance and cinema. But like I just think he's really fucking good in all those scenes. And like in in any scene where you know, the movie has like these like jazzy drums and like funky bass lines that propel so much of everything forward. And every time that the music like cuts and, and George Clooney is just going to have like a serious heart to heart conversation where he's trying to get his wife back. It's just electric. <laughs> like, I just think the two of them are so good in this movie. Um, and it just like works really, really well for me. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, that was, that was the, um, that was the thing that like, surprised me more than anything was that like there were going to be emotional moments and that the emotional moments were going to ring true for me um and it's like totally just carried by the actors i think like i think if you had anybody less than like george clooney and julia roberts who are like two really two like two of the best yeah uh, i think it would good be. actors and um, also like stars like for me, so much of Ocean's yes. Eleven works not just because there's like good acting in it, but because those good actors are stars. Um, yes, you just like see George Clooney and Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts, and you're like, those are stars. Those are stars right there. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like, like George Clooney just has like a gravity on screen that like just like doesn't exist anymore because like. George Clooney came up through, like, ER and, like, everybody, like, the entire country, like, falling in love with the character he played on ER, whereas, like, now new, like, famous actors are minted through, oh, that's Spider-Man, I like Spider-Man, not, like, I like the guy playing Spider-Man, Yeah. Um, Um. I feel like one of the... Like this, this is an example of how much it has changed. Is um, the God? What's the guy who was in Parks and Recreation? Chris. Pratt. Yeah, I'm just getting tired. But like that, that is like a thing of like, oh yeah, people liked his like character in Parks and Recreation, um, mm-hmm. and now he's like, they're like trying to make him into a star, but it's just not the same, you know. It's just not the like, same. Like, he's... Chris Pratt is... I feel like Chris Pratt, right now, Hollywood thinks is their biggest... Like, one of their biggest stars. Um, mm-hmm. Just in the way that they will, like, announce that he's voicing a character and and expect people to, like, go fucking nuts about it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, he's not George Clooney. He's not. No, no. Like, he's not even close to George Clooney. And this is what we have. We have Chris Pratt. I can't even remember his name on a podcast <laughs> about movies. <laughs> Chris Evans is like the only one of like the recent crop of like big famous actors that has like any sort of like gravity on screen that like I associate with like movie stars. Yeah. And like I still don't even think of him fully in that way. Yeah. You know? Um,. Ryan Gosling, like, kind of sometimes approaches this, but Ryan Gosling, even an actor that I love, like, 
just does not have the gravity on screen that even a Brad Pitt does. Yeah. When Brad Pitt shows up at Ocean's Eleven, you're like, oh shit, that's Brad Pitt. <laughs> well, and like, for me, Harrison Ford is the like comparison for mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling. You know? Like, mm-hmm. Harrison Ford is not like a star in the same way to me, and I think for a lot of people, no. as like a George Clooney was. No. Uh, and still is to some degree. Um, which is not to say that like Harrison Ford isn't a good actor and also isn't to like some degree a star, but like he came up from like, you know, doing a bunch of bit parts and then being in star Wars and people being like, Oh yeah, that's Han Solo, you know? Yeah. In the same way that like Ryan Gosling had like some various stuff. And I feel like a lot of people are just like, that's the drive guy. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like air force one is like, the silly, goofy, like big, um, uh, 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 what am I trying to say? Like Harrison Ford, like vehicle, yeah, you know, and like a similar caliber of movie in my head, um, would be, um, like from dusk till dawn, and the sort of like screen presence that, um, uh, uh, that George Clooney has in From Dusk Till Dawn, which is an equally silly action movie, I think, to Air Force One. Like, he's George Clooney, and Harrison Ford is... He's fucking Harrison Ford, but, like, he he does not have the sort of magnetism, you know? Yeah. Um, It's the difference between when I saw Harrison Ford show up in the conversation, I said, oh, no way, Harrison Ford's in this. That's fucking wild. If... I watch some early thing and George Clooney shows up. I just go, that's fucking George Clooney. <laughs> um, it's just a different vibe. It helps. It helps that he is like the most handsome currently working actor other than Lawrence Fishburne. Mm-hmm. I, I said that and then I was like, oh, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. The second most handsome <laughs> currently working actor. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, I kind of just want to watch all, the all of the Oceans trilogy now. I know there's like a bunch of I, other uh, better movies you were telling me to watch, but I'm also just like, man, those Ocean movies though, they'll like they'll take me back in a way that other stuff. I want to watch. I want to watch Oceans Twelve because one, I know that movie is not well liked, and two, I know that a couple of my friends really like it. Uh, in a way that, like, like I, I trust my friend's taste, especially when it runs, like, I trust Emin Jackson's taste, especially when it runs counter to, like, the dominant cultural opinion that Ocean's 12 is a bad movie. Yeah. You know? I'm like, if if they like it, maybe there's something there. <laughs> yeah. So, I might watch Out of Sight first, which is, like... <laughs> Not the prequel, but kind of the prequel, from what I can tell. <laughs> um, it's like not that, but you know. Yeah. Uh, did you rate the stairs? I feel like you didn't talk about the stairs here. Um, I oh, I was gonna seg seg into it, and then I forgot. Um, it was bouncing off of me talking about like the Julia Roberts scenes. Um, I gave it a B. There is. One scene 
that has a stairwell. And it is like, because the movie takes place so much in this like casino and these like lavish Vegas hotels. Yeah. Um, when Julia Roberts character is introduced, she is like stepping down this like beautiful, like palatial golden staircase. Um, and it's like, cross-fading um like different shots of her and like her face is like so dominant in the frame because it is so dominant in like uh in george clooney's mind um it's like it's a very brief scene so i didn't want to give it higher than a b but like if you're only gonna have stairs in your movie for like three seconds this is like the best possible three seconds you could have done you know yeah um so b maybe even a b plus but i felt like a b yeah so shall we move on to the main movie now that we're two hours into this recording some of that's gonna get cut a lot of that's gonna get cut i spent like 20 minutes futzing around with this cocktail um (laughs) um just for quick context uh for you the listener so normally for for ornate stairwells we watch the movie and then immediately go hit record yeah and we've been having a lot of long episodes lately and we didn't want to give that up we like doing the long episodes um so we were going to try out um like watching it on like tuesday or something like when we had some free time and then recording on Fridays like we usually do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that got messed up because we missed our Friday. Yeah. So it's been 10 days since we've seen Boys in yeah. the Hood. And I feel like if we had talked about this last week, we would have had a really, really good conversation about like how great this movie is. And I want to still try to do it justice, but we might not. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, every other movie that you just listened to us talk about, normally we're talking about other stuff that we watched before we watched the movie that we watched, you know, moments before we hit record. We're like, here's all the other stuff I watched this week. Now we just watched this movie. Let's get into it. Um, everything we just talked about, we watched after we watched Boys in the Hood. So my brain has been full of all of those other movies, including, again, four seasons of a Winnie the Pooh cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> since we watched boys in the hood so again like you said apologies um <laughs> and then it's been a weird couple weeks episode, <laughs> and then our next episode is the ghost in the shell episode which we are explicitly trying to do the gimmick of watching and then immediately hitting record there might be one day of separation on that but like we're trying really hard to like for the Ghost in the Shell episode, do the gimmick because, like, that's the reason that we're doing this crossover. Yeah. <laughs> so we will we will actually give this new format an act like a real chance um, in the near future. Yeah. <laughs> um. Um. Do Do we want to like boys get in into the- Boys in the Hood? Yeah. <clears throat> Boys in the Hood, uh, 1991 debut feature from John Singleton. Um, it stars Cuba Gooding Jr. and Ice Cube. Um, <clears throat> and it is... Um, it, Boys in the Hood is a really good movie because it sort of is like... 
it feels in the same way that like um quentin tarantino movies are like sort of like just eating up a whole bunch of culture and then sort of like mishmashing it around and like giving you something new it feels like boys in the hood has just eaten up like every single movie about growing up that came out in the 10 years prior to it and is sort of like giving that back to you in this new form that's uh really really fucking cool uh i was very happy with this movie but um it does mean that there's not much to give in the way of plot summary because um uh the these two kids grow up in um south central la i don't remember what they're not in Long Beach. They're not in Compton. Where are they at? Um, is it just South Central? Is that all they say? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Oh, I think it's Inglewood. They they go. It's Inglewood because they go and hang out on Crenshaw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have never been to L.A. in my life, <laughs> but I have been a like a voracious listener of rap music. <laughs> for 15 years which does mean that i weirdly know a lot about the geography of la yeah <laughs> like like i know where C- compton and long beach and inglewood are in relation to each other despite never having been to any of them <laughs> yeah anyway. do you, do you want to know how my brain remembered i was like hmm. oh it's inglewood like Englewood in chicago except Englewood's like starts with an E instead of an I, um, the neighborhood that I like lived right next to when I lived on the South side. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was my memory as like, Oh yeah, it was, it's the similar name as like a place that I lived very close to you for a while. Um, so <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I feel like so the yeah. 1984 section in particular is the, the most like this is just a day in the lives of these kids. Uh, like we get the little bit of like, um, you know, he goes to like live with, uh, his dad because he's like having trouble at school and altercation. Yeah. The, 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 the character who will ultimately be played by Cuba Gooding jr. In the, the the movie is like two hours long uh the first 45 minutes like a surprising amount of the movie it it takes place like seven years prior to like what is like in the cultural memory because i feel like so much of this movie is like everybody just remembers this as the movie starring cuba gooding jr and ice cube yeah um <clears throat> so in this in this first section like the character who's going to ultimately be played by cuba gooding jr um like having trouble in school and goes to live with his dad who is played by Lawrence Fishburne and yeah all through this all through this like literally four boys like walk down a train track and then see a dead body in case you were wondering <laughs> sort of like what might be referenced in this movie yeah i I'd, I'd have thought about this watching it though which is that like so much i haven't seen the movie stand by me i'm a, like aware of like the plot of it and everything. Um, I haven't seen it since I was very yeah. young, but like, I remember. Yeah. I remember it. a fair enough, uh, like fair amount of it. I've listened to the blockbusters about it. Uh, people should give $5 and go listen to blockbusters. Um, yeah. On uh, abnormal Great network. 
abnormal mapping network. Um, but like to some degree, like there's a certain amount to which I think like Singleton is just like honestly referencing this like other work from 1986. So like not too much before he's making this film um, that like probably influenced him to some degree. But also there's like this weird statement in it of like, yeah, for these like white boys, they like walk on some train tracks and see a dead body. And that's like a day that changed their lives forever. Um, and for these like black kids who are just like living in, uh, you know, an area of LA where like people just don't care about them. This is just a, like, this is just a day in their lives. Like, it's not like Mm -hmm. the thing that is like Mm -hmm. signaled as the, the change that then like leads into all the stuff in 1991 is when Trey, the, the main character who will be played by Cuba Gooding Jr. is like riding home and sees his friends, uh, Doughboy and Chris like being arrested because they were shoplifting. Um, Mm -hmm. and like this is the thing that's going to change them is that like even as kids, like, they are being funneled into this like prison complex line rather than like any uh, other sort of like positive support from like society. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. That like, that like death does not change your life as much as prison. does. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and there's just like a, a certain statement to it for me of like, well, um, we will see like, a drive-by shooting happens in the end of this movie and, like, is the significant mm. thing and is so, like, heartbreaking and shocking because you've spent so long just, like, living the... Like, with these people as they're living their everyday lives. Um, mm. And so it's just like, no, like, these are just... Like, these are friends and family and now, like, Ricky's dead. Um, you know, the... Ice-T's brother is dead. Um, Ice Or, yeah, Ice Cube. <laughs> I... <laughs> I need to go Sorry. to bed. <laughs> um, it's almost midnight. But, like, so, like, that is also a significant thing, but, like, so much more of this is, like, no, like, this isn't about, like, whatever fantasies of the 50s and everything that's going on in Stand By Me. And this is just, like, no, literally, the the U.S., like, government not only doesn't care about these people, but actually, like, are bringing in drugs to neighborhoods to, like... Mm-hmm. actually ruin black neighborhoods, which is a thing that yes. Lord Fishburne's character just like says straight up in this movie. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and like, um, the, 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 this feels like maybe like a, a, a simplistic comparison, but also I feel like it is one, the movie is inviting because like, this movie explicitly gets funded because Do the Right Thing is a huge hit. Yeah. Spike Lee gets a special thanks in the credits of this movie. Yeah. So much of this movie, just like Do the Right Thing is, is not concerned with um, sensationalizing and quote unquote like the violence that was like on TV every day during during the H.W. Bush administration, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I don't know when... I don't recall off the top of my head when the Rodney King riots happen, but, like, it's around this time. Like, this is, yeah. like... The Rodney King riots are shortly after yeah. this movie comes out. Um, And, and 
the thing like black folks are not in like on tv and when they are on tv it is like look at all this like violence and murder and drugs and and so much of both these movies do the right thing in boys in the hood is not concerned with that it's just like oh hey you know ice cube is having a hard time because his brother is like this football star and he's going to get a scholarship and his mom like cares a lot about that and, and does not like you know give ice cube like the same sort of like you know love and care that she gives to um her son who's going to go to college yeah you know um and, and just like oh here's just a long scene of like we're hanging out here's what happens when we hang out you know like just r- relaxed scenes that are not about you know the sort of stuff that is like stealing headlines in the same t- in the same time frame yeah you know um it is really fucking good because of it like it's it works <laughs> you know yeah um i'm trying to remember because so i actually did um some like preservation stuff around uh footage from the the ronnie king riots that happened um because those riots were specifically in like reaction to the the trial and the outcome of the trial um and so i think that the I forget exactly when the tape got aired because it was like in March 1991 when the beating happened and was recorded. And then um, George Holiday, I think, was the name of the guy who recorded it on um, like a camcorder. Um, like this was also a really significant mm-hmm. moment for like home video allowed mm-hmm. uh, lots of people to like actually record the abuses that were happening in a way that like no one would believe them before that. Um, and it's mm-hmm. a, like a significant part of this, this whole thing. Um, part of the documentary that I helped like preserve was also talking about this stuff, but I think that would have been fairly soon after. So like, I don't think it influenced like the writing and making of this film just because of production times, but definitely like, as you were saying, like this is in the, like people probably would have seen those tapes on TV by the time this movie came out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it, to go back to a, a point that you were making, um, earlier as well about like, specifically just to like further emphasize this. So Columbia Pictures, um, greenlit the film in 1990 specifically because they wanted to have their own do the right thing. Um, and Singleton had been shopping around his, his script for a while um and they picked this up and then um famously they just wanted to like have their own version of do the right thing and it was just a bunch of like rich old white guys green light letting this uh, green lighting this film um Mm -hmm. and so they were completely unaware of ice cube standing in the group nwa that like he was a member of nwa like you told me (laughs) this after we watched the movie and i was like laid flat on my ass yeah. I <laughs> like i think i forget exactly the timeline because i think while like when it was greenlit i believe um ice cube was a part of nwa and things were like literally breaking up during shooting um 
there's mm-hmm. a, a scene where someone's going to get beat up and uh, John Singleton told that guy to wear all of his NWA uh, gear and the guy like put on an easy <laughs> shirt <laughs> um, <laughs> and I like I guess on the set uh, Ice Cube was just like laughing like this guy's going to get so beat up <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah but yeah, it like like, <laughs> like I think that also is just to me it's like kind of a wonder that this film is getting made um because of mm. like again, like you said, this film doesn't get made without do the right thing. Like literally it doesn't. That's the whole reason why it was greenlit yeah. to such an extent that the people making it had no other like care about it other than just like oh, we want our own one. Um mm-hmm. which is just wild. Um <laughs> <laughs> It is just insane to me. <laughs> because, like, the parental advisory sticker yeah. <laughs> was invented because NWA was making music videos where they were firing AK-47s at cops. Yeah. Like, <laughs> NWA was on every TV in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot imagine the sort of cultural deafness to not know who Ice Cube is in 1990. (laughs) Being a white, like, wealthy motherfucker just does this to you. (laughs) Just pulling up. um... They are just too privileged to have any care in the fucking world. Um like, America's Most Wanted was out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't. Man, America's Most Wanted is a good fucking album. <laughs> uh, um, I was... Uh, okay, so... I have not seen uh, Cube in many movies. Um, I... I've seen... Um, the Are We There Yet movies... And I think I've seen him in a couple other things, but I can't think of a time where I've, like, every every Ice Cube movie that I would have seen would have been, like, from the 2000s onward. It would have just been, like, movies that I saw as I was growing up, you yeah. know? I hadn't ever, like, um, gone backward, you know? I've listened to, you know all his albums from this time frame but i hadn't like seen him in movies i was shocked by how good he is in this movie yeah and like i knew because that's like a thing that people talk about is like wow ice cube's really good in that movie but he's so good yeah (laughs) um like and the movie wouldn't work if he is not like perfect in this role you know yeah um but he just does such a good job in this movie that i was like floored um i hope he won best actor for this i know he didn't like i know that he didn't but i feel like he should have. yeah um and then obviously like um lawrence fishburne honestly getting cheated for not getting a best actor <laughs> nomination or best supporting actor anyway yeah this um, movie also like creates cuba gooding jr's career um Oh, like, yeah, yeah. He had been in, like, a couple small parts before this. Um, and, like, supposedly, like, 
the production of this sounds like it was wild because also there's just like not a lot of people showed up for like uh the call for auditions so the, like that's one of the reasons that uh John Singleton said he chose Cuba Gooding Jr is that he was just one of the only people who showed up and did a good reading <laughs> um mm-hmm. but yeah this movie i i had like saw this movie back around the time when i was you know i feel like just watching a ton of like 90s american cinema um, and especially this, like, more in this, like, alternative or, um, you know, not just, like, the main Hollywood blockbuster kind of stuff. Um, so this would have been, like, when I was watching Do the Right Thing and things like that as well. Um, and I remember really enjoying it, but we were watching it again, and I was like, God, this is a fucking incredible movie. Um, and yeah. it's... It, it... I think, for me falls really nicely in this like spot that I enjoy, which is um this is a thing that I I know that I've talked to you just like on our own autumn and I may have talked about it on this podcast, but like sometimes I like when when things feel like a little bit rough. Um like mm-hmm. there are just parts of this movie where it's really well done and really well put together, but also this is like you know, one of John Singleton's first movies. Uh, I think this is his first feature. Um, yeah, this is... There are a lot of people in here who, you know, will become stars, but, like, aren't yet fully. Um, or are not, like, known for being actors. Um, and so there's, like, this little bit of roughness to it, and yet it just, like, everything comes together and works really well. And I, I kind of like when there isn't the like full polish that mm-hmm. that sometimes comes with like like part of you know marvel stuff for me is the also the way that it is just like it is over polished it is like polished until like it's just bone left or whatever um yeah and i i this like has this feeling of like there's stuff that is just like being figured out on the fly and it makes it stronger and it makes me enjoy it more um because mm-hmm. it's almost like um, there was some tweet that was going around of like sketches from uh, a Pixar movie and like how nice it is to just like see the artist hand and to see the little lines and things. And I think sometimes like movies like this, I, I feel like I can see the hand more in that sense, like not quite to the level mm-hmm. of like I'm watching an actual sketch, but I, I can see it in that same way. And I, I enjoy being able to, like, there is that like certain imprint that is like the imperfection of just like, people are just making this. Um, and it doesn't have to be perfect. It just like needs to be good and it needs to be done. And I, I honestly love yeah. that more than everything is in its like perfect little right place. I, I have not seen it in a, in a, in a very long time, but, um, I, um, like poetic justice his his next film after this um you know still still a movie that's a little rough around the edges in moments but like definitely um like singleton knows what he's doing in poetic justice a little bit better yeah. you know like he has a better handle on his craft in poetic justice um and i i think it is a little bit down to the acting cuz you know like um I just, I, 
Poetic Justice has a good cast. Uh, Boys in the Hood has an all-time great cast. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, I just... Poetic Justice is, like, a little bit better put together, but I just like this movie a lot more than I, I, I than I remember liking Poetic Justice. Maybe I need to revisit it. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I was just blown away by this movie. Um, and... and I'm having trouble talking about it because we watched it 10 days ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. There was, something, there was something else I had in my head, and I can't find it anymore, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lawrence Fishburne, Hottest Man Alive. <laughs> Gorgeous in this movie. Yeah. Well, Lawrence Fishburne, one... Drop dead gorgeous in this movie. Two, um, only is going to get more gorgeous in the decades of the fall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but still, he showed the like very first time that we saw him on the screen, we just like both gasped in unison. <laughs> we were just like, there he is. <laughs> there's a there's a scene where where um he's like him and his kid, it's it's one of the like nineteen it's part of the nineteen eighty four section. Um, so he's not Cuba Gooding Jr. yet. Him and, and uh, oh, what's this character's name? Because I'm going to feel dumb if I call him young Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, Trey. Um, Trey. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne and, like, young Trey are, like, out fishing. And, um, like, Lawrence Fishburne's got his shirt half unbuttoned and he's smoking a cigarette. And I'm just like, be still my <laughs> beating heart. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, God! Also, Furious Styles is just an incredible fucking name. Just incredible name. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's good. It, it's real fucking good. Uh, yeah, there's there's like so many no. little details to this movie, but I don't just I don't just want to be like, oh, I just remember this other little thing. Um, because people can just go watch it. It's incredible. It is, I guess one other thing I was thinking of when we were watching it, um, and that I, I really enjoyed about it was, I feel like to some degree, like Furious Styles, like Lawrence Fishburne is like, feels the most like the mouthpiece of the director. And yet even that, like he still gets like his ex-wife being like, you think you're like such hot shit because like you stood up and raised your son, but like women are just expected to do that all the fucking time. So like what, like you deserve a medal because you just do what moms do, like what moms are expected to do. And like, but you're so great because like, you're the dad that stepped up. Um, like even Mm. like Lawrence Fishburne's character gets like, there, there's so much like dialogue of just, different people talking about like the issues that are important to them um, and being given space to like make their arguments and to make their arguments like from their own frame and without it, like without anybody like really getting fully invalidated, I felt like, which I, I enjoyed Like I enjoyed that they just had the space for mm-hmm. these discussions to like happen between characters. And even as I'm like, I feel like John Singleton is like, writing himself into like furious styles the most here 
he's like or writing himself or writing how he wishes his was or writing how he wishes his father yeah. was you know or maybe how his, or maybe how his father actually was like it feels like a sometimes weird mix of like wish fulfillment and, and like putting yourself yeah putting into, your you know? your like your thoughts and your like arguments in it um yeah but yeah i feel like it like it never falls into just like Oh well, Lawrence Fishburne just like knows everything and is just correct all the time. Um, even though he's still like correct about a lot of stuff, um, it's yeah. it just never like well, feels I... that way. Like it feels like there's still space for other characters to like feel and and talk and like express things that are sometimes at odds and sometimes just like different perspectives. Um, it it was just like one of the things that really. Um, like struck me about the film, I guess was just like in watching these people live their lives, how much we are just getting them also like reflecting on that and talking about it with each other in, in ways that felt Mm -hmm. like genuine in the way that sometimes you were just like talking about like, God, this is just like the shit that we live with, huh? (laughs) Um, let's just like talk through it. Well, and, um, like, Singleton spoke um, a lot about, like, how he really felt it was important for him to direct the script, you know, that, like, he did not want, like, you know, white producers and white directors, like, you know, taking this from him and, like, you know, doing, like, a different thing with it, because, and I think part of the advantage of having Singleton direct his own script is that, like, um like Lawrence Fishburne like does act as like sort of like his moral view of the world and also someone can like criticize him a little bit and, and you know similarly like I think this movie in the hands of a white director would be about how you know Trey is like the good kid and Doughboy is the bad kid and like i think this movie is like much more like wanting to be critical of trey even though trey is the good kid yeah like wants to like you know sort of examine like just toxic behaviors that young men fall into you know And, and and um wants to like think about like hey, here is, you know, Doughboy, this, you know, character that is portrayed in so much American mass media as, like, you know, evil and, and, you know, all sorts of these sorts of things. And, like, wants to give that character, like, space to be human. And I don't think that a white director would have done that. Certainly not in 1991. You know, like, I think... I think if anyone other than Singleton directs this movie, like Doughboy just ends up coming off as like the quote unquote like super predator type. Yeah. You know, which is not what that character is. Yeah. Like so much of the end of this movie is this tension of like Trey decides to not go with Doughboy to like do this retaliation shooting. And Doughboy goes and does it. And then they talk about it afterwards and like Dobo is like, I think you were maybe right to not go, but also like, 
to some degree, like I had to, but also now I know that someone's going to come looking for me. And, um, it's like so much more like part of the argument that could be made here in this film and that like, you know, um, Fergus styles is like sort of stating this and like the, the tension in a lesser director with like Trey would just be like confirming this and like being like, well, this is the solution is like, well, these like young black men need to stop shooting each other. And this movie is aware that like, yes, there are like actions that people in these situations can do to like, not continue to like, go into these systems that the state wants them to continue to go into because these are just ways that like the United States can control black men is like funneling drugs into these communities and creating these crimes and then not really caring about it. And, you know, putting a gun store on every street. Um, right. And, you know, this is what like Lawrence Fishburne's character is talking about. And yet the end of this is not like, and the solution is just you stop because it's like, well, no, like there's all of these systems that are at work with these violent, like these systems of violence that even Doughboy can express, like, like maybe I shouldn't have gone and done this retaliation shooting, but also like, I'm just like stuck in this situation. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know what to do. And it's like, I can't, I can't just like solve the systemic issues that I'm living under. Um, right. Because, because like, if I don't like, retaliate in some way like that will reflect poorly on me and like people i love will continue getting shot so i have to yeah but you know i don't like that yeah <laughs> um and yeah there's just like there's such i think an awareness of like this is a movie where there are a lot of black characters that are talking to each other about like what the black community needs to do for itself but never in this way that is like and the problems are like the problems of the black community and like things that they need to sort and the, like, like they need to fix themselves. Um, like it is always aware mm. of the ways that like those are, these are big problems that are like not caused by the black community. And there are ways that they are like talking about how to deal with it and to try to like make things better, but also never in this like weird moralizing way that I, I think with a yeah. lesser director director, it would fall into like, Oh yeah, you know the black community needs to fix their problems, and it's like no, that's not what this film is about. That's a fucking terrible yeah. like. If someone got that from this movie, like that's a fucking terrible takeaway. Um, this movie is not saying yeah. that at all. So, um, um, th oh, this this did remind me of um. I think this is like a ten out of ten, like classic movie like I, I think it's phenomenal i i could watch it a hundred thousand more times and and enjoy it every time um this movie <laughs> has the dumbest ending <laughs> you could possibly have it works for me <laughs> you know okay in the moment that I was watching this unfold, I was like, this is awful. And this is the nice thing about taking 10 days break between um, between then and now. I'm like, no, 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 I like the bad ending. I like yeah. it. <laughs> um, it um, there, 
There is a cheesiness in a melodrama that something like Stand By Me is allowed to have, and that I think this just comes by more honestly. (laughs) And that is, like, at work in that. You know? I... The the, the problem was... Here... The the problem was that, um... I... I... The last scene... Ice Cube and Cuba Gooding Jr. are sitting, like, on the porch having this long conversation about all, all these sorts of things that we're just talking about right now. It's a really moving scene. It's a really fucking good scene. Yeah. And then Cube gets up and walks away. And I, th- I thought, because this is the thing that makes sense, <laughs> is that as Cube is walking away, you sort of cut to black. And that has this sort of ambiguity of, like, what are these kids going to do? You know, they had these, like, like you know, um, experiences and, like, how who who are the men they're going to grow up to be? That's what I thought was going to happen. Um, and instead, Cube, like, fades out and then text pops up and says he was, he was murdered two weeks later. And then Cuba Gooding Jr., like, goes inside the house and, like, it's like... Oh, he went to college and he, you know, got married to his high school sweetheart and all went well. Um, and it's so corny. <laughs> the The thing I was just saying about, like, I think this movie does a really good job. And this is still true. Of not treating Trey as the good kid and Doughboy as the bad kid. It almost feels like that ending is taken away because it feels like some sort of, like, or, or, or it almost feels like that feeling is taken away by the ending because it feels like the 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 ending is like well cube's path in life could only have ever led to death or jail and um cuba cuba gooding jr's like path in life could only ever have led to like you know settling down and having two and a half kids in a white picket fence you know yeah um and in the moment that it was happening i was like this is stupid and bad but actually, I like it. <laughs> I, mean, I still think it is a little silly and a little bad. But actually, I do really like it. Um, I I think for me, part yeah. of what makes it work is that I think like the emotional impact of the conversation they have is such that that ending doesn't take away from it, but rather like highlights the fact that if you are like looking at their lives from this like almost statistical point of view that the like little subtitles narrating what happened to them next, like suggests, then you're like, Oh yeah. The one who is involved in like, you know, gang activity dies. And then the one who like chose not to goes on, but like, that's not the story is like, even if you like have the situation where that like becomes fulfilled, that's still not the actual story of like what's happening here, which is that like, no, like they're having a conversation of like, we are always going to be brothers and like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and all of this like complex stuff around it. And so I think like for me, that's what makes it work is that it's saying like, even in the, the case where things seem so set in stone at the very end, like the outcome of their lives, like this moment is actually still highlighting the way that like, that is not like about any sort of moral fail- failing on any character's part. 
Um, it is like about bigger and broader and like more systemic issues than that. Um, mm-hmm. so that's why it works for me. Um, and that it also works because it is like playing in this melodrama that I, I think a lot of this is like referencing and pulling at. And yet, um, just like complicating in, in ways that make this really strong, even as something that it is directly referencing, like stand by me is kind of wretched. <laughs> Um. <laughs> I mean, another another huge advantage of, that this movie has over um, Stand By Me is that, like, this movie is about the present, you mm-hmm. know? That this movie is about, like, you know, John Singleton's a pretty young person who, who when he made this movie, mm-hmm. you know, um... Um, he was 24 when he made this movie. He would he would have like just lived through all this and just seen yeah. other people live through all. Lawrence Fishburne was like five or six years older than him when they were making this. Movie. Yeah. Um. Whereas, whereas, um, you know, Stand by Me is a movie about old fucks being like, man, remember how good the 50s were? Yeah. <laughs> the three decades prior to this film coming out, man, mo- life used to be so much better before now. <laughs> um, and I think it probably just helps when you have a young person reflecting, you know, at the age where it's like, okay, I've been, you know, out on my own for a couple years. Let me think back to like, being a kid which wasn't i'm not that far removed from um and let me look at like the ups and the downs as opposed to stand by me which is like life used to be so much better 30 years ago yeah <laughs> um god while you were talking i scrolled down on the wikipedia page and once again remembered that uh the way that John Singleton met Lawrence Fishburne and said, do you want to be in my movie was uh, Singleton was working on the show Pee Wee's Playhouse where Lawrence Fishburne played Cowboy Curtis. And I still can't fucking believe that the first time that I ever saw Lawrence Fishburne in my fucking life was on Pee Wee's Playhouse as a kid. (laughs) Every time I just look at pictures of Cowboy Curtis and I just now see Lawrence Fishburne in a way that I did not when I was a child, I'm just like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I... The other thing, while we were watching this movie, we were just scrolling through Lawrence Fishburne's Wikipedia page, um, and um, when you told me that Lawrence Fishburne is, is like a 19-year-old kid in Apocalypse Now, I had to like sit down for a second. I was like, oh my god, that skinny little kid yeah. <laughs> in Apocalypse Now. Because <laughs> I knew the moment you said it, I like matched the, like, oh, that's him. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Apocalypse Now, pretty good movie. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, it's been a while since I've seen yeah. it. I feel like I like would just watch a bunch of like this is the project that I'm doing right now when I was in like high school and undergrad. Um, and I I feel like I just watched Apocalypse Now along with like a bunch of other war movies. Um. Mm. 
But I remember enjoying it. Um, so two questions from Joao that are both pretty quick, thankfully. Um, one before the questions, Joao usually like gives us cutesy nicknames at the start of his emails, yeah. and we often don't read them because we can't sanction that buffoonery. Yeah, this time Joao has just sent all caps Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> So wait, are Top are line. we Lawrence Fishburne or? I guess so. <laughs> First question: If every character in Boys in the Hood got together to make a Fellowship of the Ring group cosplay, who's who in this group? I feel very strongly that Furious Styles would want to play Aragorn. Wait, so they're doing Lord of the Rings cosplay? Yes, and I feel like, regardless of. You know, if I was mapping these characters onto the Fellowship, I might map them differently. But I feel like Furious Styles would be like, no, 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 I want to play Air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, I'm trying to think. I think everybody would want Trey to be Frodo, and that would make him not want to be Frodo. Yeah. Trey would be like, I'll be Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Doughboy as Frodo and, and, and Trey as Sam is pretty fucking good. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Dope I feel like Trey is too concerned with like being cool in this like oh, in yeah. this like like I think I think he would be like, no, I want to be like Legolas or something. Like what Trey would think is cool, which would be being Legolas, you know? Yes. And yes. I think, I think Doughboy would just be like, no, I'm going to be Frodo. And then Chris is going to be my Sam. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie literally has a Merry and Pippin in it. Um, but, yeah. uh, I think they would want to play, like, Gimli and Boromir. I think they would want to be cool men of action, not, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, um, I'm trying is, to think is anybody else. here Gandalf? You know... I don't know that any of them... Other than, like, I can imagine Doughboy being, like, no, I want to be Dan Gandalf because he can, like, shoot fireballs. <laughs> yeah. I could imagine him doing, taking that route of, like, no, like, I can imagine, like, the version of Furious that's, like, I want to play Gandalf because, you know, he's very wise and, like, yeah. you know, he he understands things. Um <laughs> I can imagine Doughboy being like, I'll be Gandalf because I want to have a staff and shoot fireballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's that part where there's the Balrog and Gandalf's like, you shall not pass. That part's sick. I want to be Gandalf. <laughs> um, who who would Ricky be? That's Maybe like Boromir? That's too bleak now that I'm thinking about it. I didn't think that one through. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> We'll do we'll do like Faramir or something. I just like you know the like kind of cool 
like, but also like a little bit more like straight laced, maybe soldiery type. I feel like that would be Ricky. Yeah. I just yeah, want to sure. bore me at first because I was thinking Rick. fellowship and then I thought of it. Oh. <laughs> uh. Ricky. <laughs> I know what Ricky would do. Ricky would show up as Jon Snow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's how that would actually go. (laughs) Um, Joe's second question. Which movie covered by stairwells should be set in the Yu-Gi-Oh! universe? Uh, parenthetically, the right answer is in the mood for love. I don't know what that means. <laughs> what is in the mood for love set in the Yu-Gi-Oh! universe? I don't, I don't... <laughs> what does that mean? Um, what, an, an old standby, I think that Micro Commando Diatron 5, aka Space Transformer, aka Space Transformers, is just set in the Yu-Gi-Oh! universe. That's just what's happening while people are dueling. Not like it should I, be, it I just went, is. <laughs> I wanted to go with our other old standby funny answer for this sort of question, um, which is Wings of Desire. Very funny to think about. <laughs> Very funny to think about Bruno Gans just wandering around listening to people duel. <laughs> Um, or, 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 you know, Angels of the Universe, um, (laughs) where all these people are in the mental institution just playing Yu-Gi-Oh! instead of smoking. (laughs) Um, I was thinking of Funeral Parade of Roses, where, uh, Mm. it's like, instead of them, like, sitting around watching, like, the, you know, film that their friend made or whatever, um... Yeah, it's just them, like, chilling out, playing Yu-Gi-Oh!, dueling each other. Um, There's, like, weird layers of, like, are these different, you know, is this the Shadow Realm, or is this just, like, a different narrative in the movie? Who knows? (laughs) Evangelion. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i know next to nothing about uh like i know cultural osmosis stuff about Yu-Gi-Oh, and i've listened to attention duelist that's about all i know about Yu-Gi-Oh. um well if people want to tell you about Yu-Gi-Oh, where could they find you about on twitter don't talk to me about Yu-Gi-Oh, but you can follow me at fox mamnia on twitter (laughs) F-O-X-M-O-M-N-I-A. I normally don't spell it. I have a cat on my shoulder right now. You can also follow me at media of underscore pile, which is M-E-D-I-A-M-H underscore P-I-L-E. Um, I think I think that's it. Go listen to Ghost Divers. We're starting Ghost in the Shell. If you are listening to this on Tuesday, like, and you want to send in an email for Autumn and I for... Um, the Ghost in the Shell movie, like you got to do that right now. People can send it to send it to ghostdiverspot at gmail.com so I can also do it with Connor. Don't send it to export odd dot or export audio podcast yeah. at gmail.com. 
I mean, you can. I'm yeah. just going to have Autumn forward it to me. Where can people find you? <coughs> people can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. All the podcasts that I do are exportodd.io. That is the Patreon page. And on that Patreon page um, is links to all the free feeds of the podcasts. Or you can give us a dollar a month and get access to this show early. Gotham City Limits early. Ars Arcanum. And more. Um, but you know what people should really give? Is they should give $5. God, we recorded Pop Tab Funk today. Yeah. Give us $5 to listen to Pop Town Funk, a uh, podcast where my wife and I roll random Funko Pops and have to talk about uh, movies or comic books or video games associated with the characters that we get. Like, for example, uh, today we rolled Qbert. So we're going to watch 2015 Adam Sandler film Pixels. Yeah. Which I'm not looking forward to. I just realized <laughs> that because you recorded today, you've now heard the my shortened version of the story of how I accidentally formed a Pokemon like delinquent gang. Um, yes. I don't know if you knew that about me. I don't think I did, no. Well, if people want to know more about what I just talked about, I, I've not listened to the Pop Town Funk, but it is out. People can go listen to it. I presume that it gets talked mm. about on there briefly. Yes. Yes, we do yeah. talk about it. Um, I'm so fucking sleepy. I'm sure you're even sleepier than I am. Potty train a toddler tomorrow. Let's get out of here. Bye. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. We almost forgot our sign off.
but the goose is dead. The bats have left the bell tower. The victims have been bled by velvet lines. The black box. The little goose is dead.
Thank <laughs> you.